0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to what will go down as the inaugural episode of The Ball Spot. I'm your host, Philip Dimitrovsky, sometimes gone by Philip Dim, or just Philip, Phil, either one. And I'm coming here with you guys to, to start a uh, start a project I've been working on for a while, or planning, actually, on working on for a while, which was a, a podcast, uh, you know, in which I in which I just basically have my own basketball discussions. Um, As of right now, it is just me. Maybe collaborations are coming in the future. Uh, But for right now, I mean, I think this is a good time to to get things started. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time delving into who I am or any of that stuff. But I've been following the league for for several years now. And uh, ever since I I had a a college radio show, uh prior to me graduating and uh since then you know I've had this dying urge to just talk basketball any chance I get because you know I I miss those glory days of of talking basketball on the radio and thought why not start up a podcast you know got a mic set it up and I I I could the ammunition to talk basketball for hours upon hours so why not use it and I hope uh You guys enjoy the podcast, this is the first episode, if there's any kinks or anything like that, hope to work them out over time, you know, this is a learning process for me, so bear with me through that, but nonetheless, if you are here by now, you probably know that this is uh, the first episode of this podcast, starting at somewhat of a weird time, is during the, like, we're we're right about the All-Star break, and the day of, in which I'm recording this is Thursday the 30th, January 30th. Uh, I, As I now know, uh, the All-Star selections, they already selected the uh, starters last week. This week, they're going to se- uh, select the reserves. So by the time you're hearing this podcast, you're probably going to already know who the reserves are. There's nothing I can do about that. But hopefully you're hearing this on a Friday. Hopefully it is. This is up and running by Friday. But if not, you know when this is. Hopefully, uh, I'm pretty accurate with my all-star selections, but here I am. I'm going to make my selections, if it was up to me, my poll, as to who the all-star reserves are. I'm actually going to go ahead and say my starters too, because why not, who I would have picked as my starters. And um, finally, I'm going to do a little a, a little bit of a twist with the Rising Stars Challenge. I'm aware the Rising star Challenge is now a... Uh, the homegrowns, the Team USA versus the foreign team, but uh, I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm just going to do what I think uh, would be a cooler adaptation of the uh, Rising Stars Challenge, and we'll get to that. But first, let's start out with my picks. Actually, before I even say my picks, I want to just briefly go over a little bit of the criteria. I think an all-star should be, because, or not a really criteria, but more of specifications, I'm, I'm not huge on strictly doing it by counting stats, you know, the, well, this player averages this many points, this many rebounds, and this many assists, which means they are a good player, or those are all-star-like numbers, you know, those those terms that a lot of people like to use, that they associate all-stars being uh, named All-Stars because of the those three numbers they put up. It's just a pet peeve of mine, and that's not the way I'm going to do it. I just want to clarify that now. Also, I don't even want to call this a rant, but just a little bit of um, my opinion on the All-Star game in general or the All-Star selections, the process, all that stuff. I I want to state that I don't think <coughs> All-Stars should be considered career-ending accolades to the extent that they are. Now, obviously, being named an all-star is a very big deal for the players themselves. They work hard for it. They take that seriously, and they should. But when it comes down to the end of career accolades that people talk about, I don't—I'm not a fan of the—well, this player was a this-many-time all-star, so that means they are this—or— Vice versa, this player didn't make uh, only made an All Star game this many times, so that means they're that. That I want to avoid completely. I want to say that that's an argument that I feel like is is pretty stupid. Uh, I I think firsthand. First off, I don't understand why something that's awarded for a little more than half the season is. Held on with that much weight at the end of someone's career I mean it's really a first half of the season award Being named an all-star for the most part Obviously there are legacy all-stars guys who um, Make it in every year Or not every year but They make it in every now and then Who some people feel they don't deserve to be But made that based off their name recognition in years prior Coaches vote them in Uh, There's guys like Kobe Bryant uh, may you rest in peace, I should say, tragic news, just only a week removed, and yet still doesn't feel real, but a guy like Kobe Bryant, who in the uh, later years of his career, had a few all-star selections, that he earned off fan voting, the fan votes got him as a starter, Uh, in his declining years, even we saw it last year, with Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade, who were named all-stars, Simply off the legacy, you know, both those guys wouldn't even be anywhere near contention of being an all star if it were not for uh, the names and that weird one year legacy all star thing they did last year. So I want to say, if we're gonna take until we take all star voting as seriously as I think we should, the selection process, all that stuff, uh, strip the fan vote. Uh, I'm I'm for obviously the fans if they want to let their favorite players if they want to see their favorite players and vote for them, I'm fine by them doing that, having a weekend for the fans, which is what it should be, the All Star weekend. It should be for the fans. And if it is for the fans and the fans want to have a big fan vote, I'm fine with that as long as we strip the weight of All Star being a massive accolade in someone's career. Just we could go with we could go with all NBA. I mean, I feel like that makes a lot more sense it's 15 guys rather than 24 so it's more exclusive uh it's leveled out between first second and third so you know it has more of an indication of of how much better you know an all-star like let's say a Giannis this year versus a maybe like a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown might make the all-star game you know i don't i don't think they should be in the same category and something like the all NBA teams separate that via first second and third team i think that makes a lot more sense um, again, it's only 15 guys compared to 24, much more exclusive. You don't have that East versus West, you know, some pity all-stars get in every year, uh, mostly from the East because the East has been notoriously weaker. And this year, I don't think that's the case, but over the past few years, it has been. You get some names that are all-stars that you, you kind of scratch your head at a years a few years later saying, Hey, how do they get in there? And finally, it is an end of season award. Unlike the, the uh, all, all-star voting, it is not half the season I that's so weird to me how, how an award could be or an accolade could be addressed at just half the season and yet people uh in you know the the career discussions player a was a this many time all-star so that means they were a hall of famer or not a hall of famer or anything like that I want to avoid that completely so I mean, I think I got most of that out of the way. It's it's just a pet peeve of mine about the All Star Game. It's fun. It, it's fun, and I feel like it should be fun. I don't want to, you know, bore this out, drown this out with my opinion on uh, all this stuff. But I just want to make that clear. It's it's unfair to the players who don't get voted in, who probably should be. And um, yeah. So, and it's also unfair to the uh, unfair to the players who you know, have these late season runs, like, the the most, uh, the easiest one to remember off the top of my head was was Steph Curry, his first year getting snubbed, I, I want to say that was 2013, when he was snubbed of the All-Star game, and had this crazy second half of the season after the All-Star break, where he, he was, I believe, named to an All-NBA team, and, uh, you know, he would have been a clear All-Star if it was up to that point if it was decided on the second half of season. And he wasn't. And, you know, at the end of the season, or a few years later, you kind of forget things like that. You forget those little minute details. And you just look at the end of the season, a lot of, like, the the conglomerate, the conglomerators of the season, they, they say, oh, this player wasn't an all-star that year. So that means he wasn't as good as his numbers say or anything like that, which is a little foolish. You know, in, in the NFL, the Pro Bowl is the week before the Super Bowl, so you have a taste of the entire regular season and all that stuff. I, th- I feel like that's, you know, for for a, th- a sport like football, it makes more sense to use Pro Bowls as a career achievement, because it covers the whole season. The All-Star game does not, so I feel like it shouldn't. Nonetheless, don't mean to rant once again, but here I am, 10 minutes in, <laughs> only not even naming a single selection yet, but we'll start off with my East All-Stars. Um, I separated my all my All-Stars into different tiers based on, you know, the, the locks for starters, some debatable starters, the reserve locks, all that stuff. I had four All-Star locks, and actually, well, technically, three All-Star locks. I'll say that. Um, my first one was the very obvious, the one that you know, is the front runner for MVP and the defending MVP this year, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, there's really not anything I could say that hasn't been said a million times before about him this season. Uh, the Bucks have been by far the best team in the league in the regular season so far. Giannis is clearly the head of that throne. And uh, he's, he's an all-star uh, starter lock for me. Another guy who was an all-star starter lock, based off position mostly, was Campbell Walker. Um Camba's having a career shooting year right now. 59% true shooting, which is really high for, for a small guard who is deemed a little bit inefficient. Um this guy is just shooting threes like crazy this year. And he's leading a Celtics team that's been very, very impressive. Uh he is one of my guard locks. I have Giannis as a forward lock or a front court, sorry, front court, backcourt. I forgot stated by that. Um, so one of my front court locks is Giannis. My back court lock, lock is Kemba, and I had two guys fighting for the other back court uh, position, and that was between Ben Simmons and Kyle Lowry, and it was it was close. It came down to being close, but I think the deciding factor for me was just minutes played. When when it's that close between two guys who are who are in, in such a close tier and, you know, as far as skill and, and team success, numbers, all that stuff. uh At that point, I, I think I, I just do it based off minutes, if, it's, if it is significant. And Simmons did play more than Kyle Lowry this year uh, by quite a bit. You know, actually about 400-minute difference almost between the two played. And I think that's a significant amount, you know, if they are that close. Um, Simmons, I ended up picking as my All Star starter, the other guard, um, and as we now know, he ended up being Trey Young, uh, the actual uh, starter ended up being Trey Young, and you know I don't have too much of a gripe with that. Uh, it was between mostly Lowry and Simmons for me, mostly about the team's success was holding Young back. I will get to Young later on about uh, in this discussion, of course, and. I ended up going with Ben Simmons. I mean, there, there has been that argument with whether or not him and Embiid work together. I mean, the numbers show that maybe he is excelling without Embiid. Um, I mean, offhand, I have a number. With Simmons and Horford on the floor, Embiid off the floor, the 76ers are plus 6.8 per 100 possessions uh, and over 1,500 possessions, which is you know, a 6.8 net rating. That would rank 5th in the league uh as a regular team, they play very well without Embiid on the floor. That it should not it <laughs> should not sound like I'm I'm trying to, you know, uh bag on Embiid. He's a fantastic player in his own right, but maybe the fit between them uh doesn't really work out too well. Ben Simmons though is having a uh campaign for a all defensive team slot this year. Not even an all defensive team slot. I think he might be the best defensive guard in the league this year, flat out. I mean, he's just been a hawk on the defensive end. I mean, that team is scary defensively, the 76ers in general, but Simmons especially, I mean, it's. I think he might have taken over as the best defensive player on that team this year, which is insane considering, you know, they have a year-by-year defensive player of the year candidate or finalist in Joel Embiid. They have a uh, maybe the best defensive rookie in NBA history, in Matisse Thibel. Um So, yeah, that's a lofty altitude if if he's the best defender on the team. That's a maybe. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. Maybe he is. It's either him and Embiid right now. Kyle Lowry though, uh obviously if he wasn't the starter, ended up having him as a reserve lock. I'll get to that. Uh but Simmons and Walker are my guards, my backcourt for the starters. And I like I said prior I had Giannis as my one lock as a forward or excuse me the uh, Front cork <laughs> starters, and uh, the two other spots were between two guys, and that was Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and Pascal Siakam. And um, the the one campaign against Joel Embiid this year was time played because he missed so much time. I had a uh, I had a self made barometer. Sort of a litmus test about a certain amount of time a player has to have played in order for them to make the all star team this year, and I set that at a thousand minutes. It seemed like pretty much every player who made the all star team that had a viable argument to make the all star team was over a thousand minutes. and Embiid was just under a thousand. I'm saying just under a thousand, uh, like single digits almost. Um, so yeah, he, he didn't meet my requirement, but. When it's someone like Joel Embiid, they have to just make it in. You know, they, they supersede that rule. Uh, he's just such a fantastic player, as stated before. He's always a front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. This year has regressed a little bit in terms of his rim protection a little bit. Still, still one of the league's best though. Uh, I had to throw him in my starters, and that leaves the last spot between Jimmy Butler and Pascal Siakam. On one hand, you have Jimmy Butler, pretty much reinventing his game, changing uh, the way he plays from from the basic uh, late game crunch time scoring wing, who you know takes that team, uh, takes his team by the horns and leads them in late games in, in important matchups. Uh, he loves taking on that responsibility. This year, kind of regressed into a, more of a playmaking role, which is different from him because, I mean, who expected Jimmy Butler, the point guard, to come out this year? But with that young Miami Heat team, with so many young players on that team, Jimmy Butler has definitely taken that leading role himself. I mean, they've shocked everyone. I was pretty high on them prior to the season starting, uh, and they've, they've really shocked me about how good they were. Jimmy Butler himself uh, was you know is obviously the front runner for that team. I mean, they do have another all-star in my opinion. We'll get to that, but Jimmy Butler was the clear best player in the league this year. Um one thing that really stood out with him about all of his numbers, I mean, you know, the assist percentages are up, the assists per game are up, all that stuff. Uh, his defense is still there, although not at that all defensive team level anymore. Uh, his shooting is down, all that, but his free throw rate is was absurdly high this year. I mean, it's he's got a seventy two percent free throw rate, which is like a historic, like NBA all time high. It's not number one all time, but it's it's up there. It's I, th- I believe in the top ten all time of um, uh, highest free throw rates. I mean, that's by far number one in the league this year among players with a hundred attempts. And you you always have guys like Giannis and Embiid. Harden, obviously, leading the pack. But this year, Jimmy Butler came out of nowhere, just driving hard to the rim, getting to the line at will. Uh, a big plus for that for that uh, Miami Heat team. And their free throw rate is, is um, one of the things that's, you know, on offense is one of their uh, leading offensive four factors. So good on him there. All that's great. And he still didn't end up being the starter for me. I ended up going with Pascal Siakam who last year, as we know, didn't make the All-Star team, was, in my opinion, a snub uh, in terms of the replacement. I know D'Angelo Russell ended up getting that replacement spot over him, and I disagreed with it at the time, and I disagree with it even more looking back in hindsight. Um, you know, the guy ended up winning uh, Most Improved Player of the Year. I'm, I'm talking about Siakam, of course. Uh, he ended up winning Most Improved Player of the Year last year, and... Um, had a fantastic showing in the playoffs, ended up being probably the second best player on that Toronto Raptors team in a championship run in the finals. He's now an NBA champion. And despite their finals MVP and MVP candidate and Hall of, future Hall of Famer and top whatever player of all time, Kawhi Leonard leaving, the Toronto Raptors are still fantastic so far this year. They've been great. And no one's playing better on that team than Pascal Siakam. I have him as a starter. I mean, he he went from from a most improved player to a, I wouldn't say MVP candidate. I, I think that's far too early. I mean, early in the season, he looked like he was in that race. But I, he regressed a little bit. He's an all-NBA player. You know, last year, he wasn't really in that discussion. He wasn't that good. But he went from a guy being, you know, a, a good story, a heartwarming story, Fantastic player. I don't want to just, you know, <laughs> uh, say he's, he's not a good, he wasn't a good player last year. He was great last year, but this year he took that to another level, being the best defensive, or sorry, being the best offensive player on a, uh, a top four team in the East. Number three, actually, in the East right now, which is crazy considering they lost Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, but you probably heard about that a bunch of times until now, uh, by now. Siakam is still, uh, He's regressed a little bit on defense. Still a great defender, though. The rim protection is is a great thing for that team, considering their their talent. I mean, their their entire team defensively is fantastic. Um, He's taken on a a much bigger load this year offensively in terms of things like usage rate and uh, shots and all that stuff. Uh, With that, his efficiency has gone down. But nonetheless, he is my fifth starter for the East. So if we recap that real quick, I have Kemba Walker. Ben Simmons, sorry, I got lost there, Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Pascal Siakam, and Joel Embiid as my five all-star starters. So here come the seven reserves. I had them in different tiers as well. I had the reserve locks who, uh, as stated before, didn't end up making um, the the starters, which were Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, both fantastic players in their own right. The, The other... Uh, reserve lock that I had was Bam Adebayo, who this year is making a campaign himself. Much like Siakam last year, as a most improved player, um, him on offense, it's he just had a complete transformation as a guy who was, I wouldn't, I don't want to say he was one dimensional last year. He showed flares for that playmaking that he had this year, but it wasn't nearly as developed as it is this year. I mean, him, he's. You, guys like Jokic aside, you know, the superstars aside, he, he is legitimately one of the better uh, playmaking bigs in the league right now, which is saying a lot considering, you know, they have uh, a lot of playma- quote-unquote playmakers on that team. You know, Jimmy Butler becoming a playmaker this year, uh, the emergence of Kendrick Nunn. I know he's been injured a lot, but Justice Winslow is uh, taking on that playmaking role when he was in the starting lineup. Goran Dragic is still there, so Tyler Harrow, the rookie, all that stuff. Nonetheless, Bam Adebayo is still probably uh, the second safest guy with the ball in his hands this year on that team, and that's saying out for a center. You know, usually the centers have short possessions. Bam Adebayo is dribbling the ball, taking the ball up court, and having these no pass possessions where he just drives it to the rim, does a crafty move, and uh, finishes uh, with the, with a crazy finish. But this stuff is is somewhat unseen for a guy, you know, of his size stature. Uh, great defender, super versatile on defense, you know, an all-defensive nominee, I would say, so far this year. He's had a complete transformation, and for that, he is another lock for the All-Star team. So, by tally right now, with Butler, Adebayo, and Lowry on the bench, I have eight players, which means there are four players left. Um, Oh, actually, I did end up uh, moving this guy back up to a Lock. I at first I had him as a debatable, but he he really reading the numbers and all the stuff. He's definitely a lock for me. Um, the ninth guy is Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton this year. I don't want to just say it's because you know the Bucks are so good. They need a second All Star. I mean, sure, it would be nice if they had a second All Star. Considering they're on a seventy win pace right now. To be, they're on pace to be the fourth team in NBA history third team, the third team to ever crack 70 wins, Um that's impressive, sure, Uh mm-hmm. it would be nice if they had a second All-Star, and you know, it's one thing to say that Giannis is, is that good, that, I mean, he is obviously that good, he's the MVP frontrunner, but it's not just Giannis, I cannot stress that enough, a few people, not a lot, but a few people this year are under the impression that it's just Giannis, and that is very, very far from the case. And Chris Middleton himself is having a fantastic campaign this year. Right now, um, flirting with the 50 40 90 club, just under the 90% free throw shooting uh, as we stand. Very, very capable of getting that 90%. He's at 89 right now, but shooting 50, 42, and, and 89 splits right now is, you know, joining a very prestigious group to be a 50 40 90 club. Um,. And and the numbers, the counting numbers are nice for him too. You know, over twenty points per game. But the 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 really surprising thing with Chris Middleton and the Bucks and Giannis and all that stuff is, we, even without Giannis, excluding Giannis from all the lineups, with Chris Middleton on the floor, the the Bucks are still at a plus twelve point nine net rating. And that's not a small sample size, obviously. That's over 800 possessions this season. Um, that is that would be number one in the league. The Bucks right now have the best net rating in the league. The that plus 12.9 net rating that they have without Giannis on the floor with Chris Middleton, that would still be number one in the league. Which is crazy. You remove the the MVP frontrunner from that team. And they are still the best team in the league. Number, I mean, obviously, it's you know the the um. It, it, I'm not saying they would be a 71 team without Giannis. It's, that's far from the truth. But they are still keeping up. They're on pace, you know, keeping up that performance. They're playing on par with as uh the numbers with Giannis. And obviously, Giannis plays a lot more against the starters and in closing minutes. Those numbers, those plus 12.9 and 800 possessions, th- that's excluded. Um, but still. With Middleton on the floor, Giannis off the floor, they're a very, very, very good team. Middleton also this year's uh shown he's, he's a very, very capable defender in what is the best defensive team in the league this year. Uh, last year, I thought he was a little bit overrated defensively. He was touted as a 3-and-D player, which I thought he kind of lacked a lot of the the D part of that, at times at least. He was inconsistent defensively, about a little bit above average. Um this year I think that's improved a lot. Uh I mean another thing I, I wanted to mention with him is his mid range shooting. Uh he's ninety seventh percentile among wings in mid range shooting this year. You know, he's actually the best mid range scorer in terms of efficiency in his position in the league right now, with uh fifty two percent from the mid range, which is bonkers. You know, and, and he's these are shots that are touted as inefficient and uh against analytics not against analytics, but not numbers friendly, the the mid-range jumper, and he's going against that and proving that, you know, it is a good shot when he takes it. Um and that team, I mean, when he's on the floor, they have absurd shooting numbers for mid-range. Uh a big reason as to why they have, you know, one of the best offenses in the league as well. So there he is. That's number nine in my Eastern Conference All-Stars. And finally, I have the last three slots. And there there was a little bit of um I made these uh, unofficial rules for myself when it came to selecting All-Stars, and, which also uh, expresses why I have three of these debatables that got in and three of the debatables that didn't make it. And I'm going to list all six names right now, and I'll tell you the criteria because I had three different rules to make get three of these guys in. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll state that criteria right now upon naming the players. I had... I felt like I, we needed j- just because of how they've played this year, and the two guys are worthy adversaries to to be named all stars. It's not just because they need one, but I feel like the Pacers need an all star this year. Both Malcolm Brogdon and Demontis Sabonis are the obvious choices. Um, both have been playing on an all star level. I'd say a lower tier all star level, but nonetheless, they are uh, they are worthy names to be in this discussion. I don't want I don't want to say that. I'm just picking them because the Pacers need an All Star. All that stuff. I I think one of them should make it. Um, So I have one of the Pacers. Also, I think the two of the Celtics guys, you know, the next two guys behind Walker are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, I think one of these guys should make it. The I don't think the Celtics are good enough to warrant them having three All Stars, unless, of course, if these guys were, you know. Above and beyond, higher than the rest of the pack, I would put them in there. But all six of these guys are kind of on the same level, I'd say in the same tier. So, uh, so I think I don't think they should have three All Stars in that case. The Celtics. So it was between two of the one of the Celtics guys gets in between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and then I had the two guys who I grouped in together as the great numbers bad team, and that's Trey Young and Bradley Beal. So. For the, the Pacers' argument, I had I ended up going with Demontis Sabonis. I thought he was uh, a little bit better as a player this year, especially with with um Malcolm Brogdon missing some time. You know, at this point right now, Demontis Sabonis has over five hundred more minutes played than than Brogdon, and that's very significant. Uh, speaking of Brogdon, though, Sabonis this year has had a pretty unstoppable pick and roll with Brogdon. I mean that that duo together has been a pleasant surprise this year and a reason why uh the Pacers are so competitive. I mean last year one thing that we all noticed and was such a big discussion was once Oladipo went down the Pacers were a 500 team for the rest of the season. You know, and that's coming from a uh, one of the one of the better teams in the East, obviously a playoff team last year to just a 500 average team with Oladipo off. That was a concern this year knowing that Oladipo is going to miss significant time so with Sabonis and and Brogdon them uh, leading this team to being very much above average in the Eastern Conference was a pleasant surprise I think they get bonus points for that Sabonis doesn't have the, the prettiest counting numbers around 15 and 13 right now but he's such a great rebounder a great passer uh that that on off net rating for him really sixed out for me. Uh he's he the the Pacers are a plus eleven point five or have a plus eleven point five on off net rating with Sabonis on the floor vi- versus off the floor, which is very, very impressive. I mean that team just falls apart with him off the floor. I think that's significant. I think he has the edge over Brogdon and I think the Pacers are good enough they deserve an all star this year. I think Sabonis and Brownian are good enough to be in this discussion, so I picked Sabonis to be in there. That is my tenth All Star. Um, here I have my eleventh, which is the 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 argument between the two Celtics guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I ended up going with uh Jason Tatum here. Close close discussion or argument between the two of them. Um. What Jalen Brown or sorry, what Jason Tatum lacks offensively, uh, Jalen Brown makes up for it. I mean, Jason Tatum exploded into an all defensive level player this year, all defensive team level player this year. Um, I will I will talk about his inefficiencies, obviously, on offense. I mean, the fifty four percent true shooting isn't atrocious; it's slightly below average, but his shooting numbers are uh, a little weak. Luckily, he's saved by that good free throw percentage. Um, I mean, his two point percentage being below fifty percent is just, you know, pretty ugly to look at. But, uh, I mean, I I don't want to just gloss over that like it's nothing. I mean, that's that's poor. But what he's doing on defense, I feel like more than makes up for it this year. I mean, I know he hasn't been the best one on one defender. He's not even the best one on one defender. Or the best wing defender on his team this year. I want to give that credit to Marcus Smart. But just a fantastic team defender this year. I mean, swallows up oppositions in transition on defense, which is very, very impressive. Uh, Super long, deceptively long almost. You know, picks these passes off from unseen spots. Just a great defensive player this year. Actually 7th in Jacob Goldstein's metric of defensive PIPM, the player impact plus minus seventh in the entire league, uh, which is, oh, sorry, seventh among forwards, you know, small forwards and power forwards, which is great. That's, you know, an all-defensive team-worthy number or metric right there. Uh, What really sold it for me was between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was that on-off net rating. And again, I want to state that on-off net rating isn't, you know, the one number that is deciding factor, all that stuff. But that number really, really mattered to me in this situation. Because when Jason Tatum is on the court compared to off the court, the Celtics have a plus ten point nine net rating. Or net rating swing, I should say. Which is a lot. You know, a plus 10, 10 is, is the difference from uh a plus ten is is you know number one in the league. That's that's the best in the league net rating type stuff. And Jason Tatum, on his own, has that much of an impact. Him and Jalen Brown share a lot of their minutes together, so you'd expect Jalen Brown to be around the same, but it, that couldn't be further from the truth. Jalen Brown is actually a negative, has a negative on-off net rating compared to Jason Tatum's massive plus ten point plus 10.9. Um, and I, I don't want to say that Jalen. I think Jalen Brown, because of that, is a negative to the team. That's far from the truth. He's he's been great this year and makes a serious case for this argument at uh, as an all star, but that's what really gives it to me. You know, two guys who share the court so much, having such a big disparity in in the the net rating swing, is was really the selling point for me. And I want to praise Jason Tatum himself to uh, on his year this year. Uh, offensively, has made big strides, especially in shooting. You know, last year. Shot 34% from three, which is about uh, just just about below average, below league average. Um, This year he's at 39%, and he's it's on higher volume too. He's he's taking one and a half more threes per game, which is you know just a great leap forward in terms of uh, offensive load and offensive efficiency. That's very impressive. Uh, I talked about Jason Tatum's below average, slightly below average true shooting percentage last year or this year. Brown himself last year was just about average at 55% true shooting. This year, he's uh, bumped that up to 60%, significantly above average. That's a huge improvement. He's uh, turned himself from that athletic wing to a great shooting wing, and that is huge for the Celtics team that currently sits at 4th place in the Eastern Conference. 31 wins, 15 losses. You know it sucks that there's only 12 spots. I have to make these cuts. It's tough to make these cuts. Jalen Brown was initially in my uh, All-Star team, but I ended up cutting him. I felt like the Celtics, ha- fourth in the East, didn't really make sense to have three All-Stars when Jalen Brown is, you know, among the same level as these guys. So I ended up going Jason Tatum, and finally the last spot I had, and this is where I think I'm going to lose people. There's going to be some angry people on this, <laughs> and I'll I'll spoil it now: some angry Wizards fans. But I had to go with uh, my uh, My last grouping for the twelfth spot was the good numbers, bad teams argument between Trey Young and Bradley Beal, and I ended up going with Trey Young in. I have a lot of notes <laughs> written on this specific argument. Uh, about two pages of notes, just about this. I want to get through most of it. I don't want to dwell on it too long, though. But Trey Young has been on the second at this where we stand today, the second worst team in the league. Worst in the East, second worst team record-wise on the Atlanta Hawks. Um Bradley Beal's Washington Wizards right now aren't too much better. Let's get into uh, what I think separates these two players. Why I have Trey Young in instead of um, Bradley Beal. First off, the the Hawks' record at twelve and thirty six is is pretty gross. And as we know now, Trey Young is now an All Star starter. You know this discussion is kind of played out. A lot of people who uh, were against him being an All Star, I, I I disagree with the starter thing. I feel you can't have this the worst record in your conference and be named an, a starter. But numbers wise, he absolutely proves himself to to be in that altitude the thing is with me with Trae Young I should say the 12 and 36 record is obviously atrocious and uh, defensively he has his woes I mean woes is kind of an understatement he might be the worst defensive player in the league uh, and that hasn't changed that was the case last year didn't really change this year I think based off both the eye test and the numbers I, I think every indicator points away from Trey Young as to the reason why the Hawks are this bad. Again, I could talk about the defense. Surely, on the defensive side, uh, he's he's a big portion of the blame as to why the Hawks are a poor defensive team. I thought they were going to be a very, very bad defensive team this year, considering they dropped their two best defenders in Baysmore and uh, Denman. Last year, they lost them in free agency both now teammates ironically um again in Sacramento but I knew they were going to be a bad defensive team I didn't think they were going to be this bad of an offensive team I thought they were going to be bad but not this bad uh mostly because I had faith in Trey Young I didn't think he was going to be have this much of a leap this year I mean he went from rookie standout you know one of the better uh, rookie of the year conversations in recent memory you know probably would have won rookie of the year most other years if it weren't for Luka Doncic. But uh, he went from a really, really solid rookie year to just a borderline superstar-level talent. I mean, this guy is legit. And I want to get into why I think the Hawks are so bad, uh, or why I don't think he's to blame for the Hawks being so bad. Defense. Let's talk about the defense for a second. And I know the arguments between him and uh, Bradley Beal. Defensively, Trey Young has been a burden this year. Uh that is nothing new. It's hasn't changed this year. It was the case last year. That's uh that should be noted. But an interesting number. In Jacob Goldstein's uh defensive player impact plus minus metric, Trey Young was so bad he was in fact second to last in the league in DPIPM. Um ironically <laughs> ironically, the only, not really ironically, I mean, it makes sense if you, if you watch the games, but the only player below Trey Young in defensive player plus uh, impact plus minus, and by quite a bit too, was none other than Bradley Beal himself. So if you want to talk about a defense argument, um, Bradley Beal is just as much to blame as being a poor defender this year as Trey Young, which is saying a lot. You know, that's saying a ton. Another thing is uh another thing with his with his um lack of blame I like to say for the Hawks being this bad is just how bad that offense is with him off the floor. I mean, it is just atrocious. A lot of that is to blame a lot of that blame goes towards um the replacement level talent behind him which at you know the playmaking position, the point guard, up until that Jeff Teague trade not too long ago, was completely devoid. You know when when they didn't have Trey Young on the floor, it was for bits and pieces. Evan Turner playing point guard until he got injured, which is, it was a disaster. They have guys like Herder or DeAndre Bembry trying to play point guard. Uh, Cam Reddish had his. Uh, Stint as in a playmaking role, which was a complete disaster. Obviously, that matters. Um, I don't think Trey Young should be blamed for his team for how bad his team is when he's off the floor. And I think that should be noted. Because, sure, I'm not saying the Hawks are the best team in the league when he's on the floor or any of that stuff. I can't stress how much worse that offense is when he's uh, off the floor just when i was when i was standing before that that plus 10 on off net rating for jason tatum you know is the difference or that that plus 10 is enough to make a team the best team in the league uh and that's for net rating that's both offense and defense offensively just offensive alone that offensive uh rating swing when Trae Young is on the floor versus off the floor is plus fifteen point one, plus fifteen point one. So, <laughs> to get into that, I want to. I just want to. I want to put that into perspective about how drastic of a change that is. With with Trey Young on the floor right now, that. Hawks offensive rating sits at about, or not about, it's at one oh nine point nine, which is nothing to be extremely proud of. That's just about average. It's it would be seventeenth in the league uh, if it were his own offense, which you know isn't great. And a, a big portion of that is the the talent surrounding Trey Young isn't the most flattering. You know he's not surrounded by these superstars. So, uh, but seventeenth isn't bad. When Trey Young is off the floor, that offensive rating goes from a 109.9 to a 94.9. 94.9. And um, for those who don't know these numbers off the back of their hand, you know, it's it's all right. I'll put that in perspective for you. That would be 30th in the league, 94.9. Not only would it be 30th in the league, but the warriors right now have the worst offensive rating in the league at 103.3 94.9 is almost 9 points lower than the worst offense in the league per 100 possessions that is such an immense such a massive offensive change that that occurs when Trey Young is on the floor that is that cannot go ignored you know we have to note that And I don't think he should be blamed for that team being that disastrous when he's off the floor, as he is by some. You know, some people see they just take the record, they separate it from everything else. The Hawks are 12 and 36. Trey Young is on the Hawks, therefore Trey Young is reason why Hawks are 12 and 36. I didn't mean to talk like a caveman there for a second, but I I don't want to demean the people who have these conversations or these statements, but it has to be noted. He is devoid of the reason. Or not, he should not be blamed at all for the reason this offense is so abysmal. And by counting stats alone, too, he has some really impressive numbers himself. I mean, separated counting stats, the uh, only players in NBA history to average 25 points and eight assists per game in their first two seasons, in either of their first two seasons. Or Oscar Robertson, who did it twice, of course, the overachiever, did it his rookie and sophomore year. Nate, Nate, Tiny Archibald, Luka Doncic, who's doing it this year, and Trey Young, who's doing it this year. Only players, only four players in NBA history, have averaged twenty-five and eight in their first two seasons. Trae Young's doing that. Trae Young is doing that right now, and you know that's not some weird, um, very specific set of numbers too. Twenty-five and eight is is very impressive. I mean, the guy's averaging twenty-nine points per game this year. Which is ridiculous in his second year. A guy who wasn't really thought of as much of a scorer coming into this draft. I had most of my eggs in the basket of him being a fantastic playmaker this year, and he turned out to be one of the league's best scorers. Um, you know his his uh he's got improvements shooting his field goal percentage this year is uh, at the rim. His, his finishing at the rim has improved a lot. It's gone from fifty three percent last year, which was eh, it was pretty poor to 58 this year which is a lot sturdier. That's very very good improvement. 5% improvement. Finishing is fantastic. Uh his true shooting is floating around 60% this year, which is uh significantly above league average, you know, for a small guard like him. That's very very impressive. And lastly, I want to talk about the um the record the last time I to talk about the record for Trey Young. As to why I think he should be an All-Star this year. And you know, this is actually a good argument why he could be an All-Star starter this year too. Um, because I want to reference him to a player in years back who had a more established name for himself uh, in Dwayne Wade. In the 2008 season, Dwayne Wade at that point was already a multi-time all-star, all-NBA team guy, an NBA champion, a finals MVP in the 2006 run. So he was already a very established name. So most people don't have a... Problem looking back now with him starting the All Star game in two thousand eight, but if Trey Young should be uh, talked about as you know even missing the All Star game this year, let alone not starting because of his team's record, let's let's talk about Dwayne Wade in two thousand eight because he was named a starter that year in the All Star game despite that team holding a nine and forty three record at the time of the All Star game. Nine and forty three record. I just talked about the Hawks being 12 and 36. I'm talking 3 less wins, 6 more 7 more losses than Trey Young's Hawks right now. 9 and 43. Just a terrible season. I mean, them alone had a 9 game losing streak in December and a 15 game losing streak in January. That's 26 straight games lost. Oh, not I want to say straight. But 9 straight games lost. 15 straight games lost at two separate occasions in the final two months of the season. It's not like they, you know, they were terrible in the beginning of the year, and uh, they ended up, I mean, it's hard to say they picked anything up because they only had nine wins by the time the All-Star game started. But they were the worst team in the league by far that year. Uh, and Dwayne Wade had significantly worse numbers than Trae Young does now. And, you know, those those net rating swings weren't nearly as favorable for Dwayne Wade. Uh, they were pretty poor with him on the floor, too. Obviously much worse with him off the floor. But they weren't nearly as weighted as Trey Young's are right now. So I think Trey Young makes a very, very good case for himself to be an all star this year. Even a, a pretty solid case for him to be a starter. I have no qualms with him being named a starter, starter this year. Um, I'm fine with it. I'll let it pass. I'm not going to be up in arms about that. I'm not losing any sleep over that. So now we could talk about Bradley Beal, who uh, is going to be a very unpopular snub on my part, and I, I have to defend myself for a little bit here. Uh, as stated before, the defense is a huge problem uh, for a guy like him. I mean, the worst defensive uh, PIPM in the league. Uh, and even, you can make the case for defense more on, on the side of Trey Young just because he's a point guard compared to Bradley Beal who plays three, the 3 and 4 a lot. And uh, being a defender as a point guard is not as important as being a defender as a wing. So you, I feel like you stick out a lot more as a, a poor defensive wing than you do as a point guard. I mean, you could kind of be hidden away as a poor defensive point guard. We've seen in the past a ton of times before. Being a poor defensive wing definitely stands out more. You know, it's not as bad as being a, a poor defensive big, but it's still very important to be a good defender as a wing, I think. Um, and then we we talk about the, the defense is terrible from uh, Bradley Beal, and we talk about the poor... Record the uh, Wizards have they're 15 and 31. You know they're awful. Uh, surprisingly, they've only, or it's actually surprising in, in a good way that they have 15 wins this year. If you look at their roster, I mean it is so devoid of just anything. I mean I feel like every every day they have a new starting lineup or every week they have a new starting lineup with G League guys or two way players or anything else making them uh, having significant minutes every night for that team with all their injuries. It's impressive that they even won 15 games. Most teams would be, you know, that nine and forty-three Miami Heat team in 08 if if they had uh, this roster or these this many injuries in this situation they had now. But um the defense, I guess, is, is really bad on um the defense is really bad with uh Bradley Beeloff which okay, that, that's that's big. So maybe you know the offense. The offense matters. And the reason why I talked about the re- the rosters were because when a player is, is such a standout talent on a team that's this bad on, on paper, right? The the on-off numbers tend to be super skewed in their favor just because the replacement is so weak. And that was the case I just said with Trey Young. Because Trey Young is the only playmaker on that team and he's so much above average as a playmaker and as a point guard, Once that replacement comes on for him, those numbers drop drastically. The offense drops drastically. So with Bradley Beal being um, the standout talent that he is, you should expect that when he gets off the floor, at the very least, that offense drops off. That's not the case. Actually, it's not even that they have a a small drop-off or about a neutral drop-off. That team actually gets better offensively when he's off the floor. Not even a little bit either. It they their offense goes up by six point eight points per hundred possessions, which is ninetieth percentile. And I know again I should state this isn't um, this isn't just uh, because Bradley Beal is bad or anything like that. It is it, the lineups matter when uh, he's, in, he's always on the floor in the starting lineup. He's always playing against starting lineups. He's always playing against closing lineups. So that matters. But all the minutes in between, that offense goes up with him off the floor is a little surprising and, I'd say, worrisome, considering that's the one thing that you should be arguing for in his favor is pretty much against him. Um, the defense, too. <laughs> the defense... Uh, is, is where even more concern happens. Because that plus 6.8 is, you know, I said 90th percentile with him. uh, uh The plus 6.8 is uh, 90th percentile with him on the floor. or Sorry, off the floor versus on the floor. You know, it gets better when he's off the floor. That's concerning. The defense is where you have even more problems. The 6.8 was big. The minus 10.3 points per 100 possessions that Beal is on the floor versus off the floor is where it really becomes concerning. 10.3 points per 100 possessions worse defensively when Beal is on the floor versus off the floor. And that's first percentile in the league. So the the worst. (laughs) The worst on-off defensive rating swing in the league is held by Bradley Beal. And it's not even just the you know the piPM and on off numbers the eye test matches his very poor defense and uh, a very worrisome lack of effort he puts on the defensive end and I know of course the re- a big reason for that is his um his offensive load being so big that is a big reason as to why his defense is so poor but it's just inexcusable to be that bad especially when you have the tools to be a pretty solid defender. I mean, he's shown it in years prior that he could be a pretty solid defender. And I have a feeling if John Wall was back and they had a healthy roster and a little bit more help offensively, I have a feeling he wouldn't be the worst defensive player in the league. I, I, I'd be safe saying that, actually. I don't think talent-wise, you know, guys like Trae Young, he's so small and he's, uh, he's not built to play great defense. Bradley Beal, he's built to play solid defense. Body wise, he he could play there. We saw before in the past in playoffs, he could play solid defense. The lack of effort really bothers me. Um, having a very low foul percentage really stands out to me. Just the lack of effort on defense, the mediocre steal percentage says he's pretty disengaged. Uh, offensively, he has a fairly average true shooting percentage. He's making he, he's a good playmaker this year, though. I, I have to give him that. Great playmaker this year. The, uh, the 28.8 assist percentage is 97th percentile among wings, which is great. Uh, like I said, the the true shooting percentage has dropped. The playmaking has gone up. The three-point threat has kind of been concerning for me, too, because normally he's been known as a 3 and D guy. I mean, you could completely take that D away entirely. That is, that is completely gone this year. Uh, we sh- we saw signs of that last year. It was pretty poor defensively. This year, it's even worse. Uh, but offensively, that three is kind of withering away too. I mean, he's he's not that threat that he was. I don't know if it's just him having a bad stretch defense or shooting from the outside, but that should be looked at too. And want to get into uh, some of the counting numbers here. Twenty eight points, six assists, four rebounds per game, all great numbers. Actually, fantastic numbers if you isolate that. You know, if you put those numbers, you said someone on the third-best team in the East was averaging 28, 6, and 4, boom, right there as a starter, right? And the numbers say that, too, because the last player, or sorry, no player has averaged over 28 points per game and missed the All-Star game since Purvis Short in 1985. No players scored more than 28 points per game and missed the All-Star game since 85. And unfortunately for Bradley Beal, in my opinion, I mean, I don't have cast a ballot, so it's not unfortunate for him, but I, I'm i going to have him as the first guy in 35 years to miss the All-Star team. Yeah, um, I just a few more numbers with, with Brad Beal I want to get through. Um, the defense, I just want to put that in perspective too, the defensive rating, how bad it is. Um, the Wizards have a 111.2 defensive rating when Beale is off, which is poor. 111.2, that's pretty bad. That would be 21st in the league. So, you know, bottom third, it, it's not the worst. It could be worse than that. Uh, and that's in 1,500 possessions or more than 1,500 possessions. They have a 1.11, or sorry, 111.2 defensive rating with Beal off the floor. Now, on the floor, When Beal is on the floor, the Wizards have a one twenty one point five defensive rating. One twenty one point five. I gotta put that in perspective, because again, a lot of people don't know these numbers off offhand. Uh, I have to I have to put that in perspective in terms of how bad it is in the league right now. One twenty one point five would be the worst in the league the wizards currently have the worst defensive rating in the league at 116.5 so that is worse than the, the worst defense by 5 whole points per 500 possessions that is such a massive diff. that is such a massive drop off from already what is already the worst defense in the league right now and just to put in perspective how bad that wizards defense is already in general The second worst defense in the league is owned by the Cleveland Cavaliers, 114.7. So it's already almost two points per 100 possessions worse than the second worst defense in the league. And then add a whole number, a whole other five points after that. That 121.5 is nearly seven points per 100 possessions worse than the second worst defense in the league. It doesn't stop there, though. Don't think it stops there. Because right now, (laughs) as we stand today, I'm going to mention those Cavs again because last year's Cavs, the 2019 Cavs, had the worst defensive rating in NBA history. They had a 117.6 net rating, the worst defen- defensive team in NBA history we saw last year with the Cavaliers. If you remember those numbers, 117.6 by the Cavs last year, that is four points per 100 possessions better than the Wizards with Bradley Beal on the floor, four whole points Worse than the worst defensive team in NBA history? That is, that is unfathomable. That is inexcusable. You cannot just gloss over those numbers. Those numbers matter a lot. And I should mention too, the current Wizards do have the second worst uh, defensive rating in NBA history. I'm sorry. Bradley Beal, 28-6-4 and four is great. Uh, 15 wins is impressive for a team that's looked that bad on paper. His offensive load is looking great. When your numbers defensively are that poor, where you are significantly worse, or when you're on the uh, court, you are significantly worse than the worst and defensive team in NBA history. That's kind of where I draw the line. So that rounds out my roster on the Eastern uh, All Stars. Again, the starters. Kyle Lowry. I already messed up. Uh, The starters, uh, Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid. Uh, My locks, my reserve locks were Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, and Chris Middleton. Those are nine spots. And the last three, the debatables that got in, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, and DeMonta Sabonis. So I'm going to talk about the... um, the uh, snubs I had already mentioned: Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, Malcolm Brogdon I didn't really get to talk about too much. Uh, real quick, I'm just gonna gloss talk about some of his numbers. You know, he's in a new role right now as the primary playmaker, compared to what he was in uh, Milwaukee, where so much of his game was built on uh, him being the, the third or fourth option on offense. And with that um, improvement or with that new role came a drop-off in uh, efficiency and a pretty significant drop-off, too. You know, last year was a 43, 42% three-point shooter. This year dropped 8%, around 34%, just under league average. You know, last year was a 50-40-90 guy. This year, not nowhere close because of that three-point percentage. Last year, again, his two-point percentage, uh, even inside the arc, was fantastic. 54.4%, two-point percentage. Last year, compared to a 6% drop-off this year in uh, with a 48.6. Still not off. I mean, it's bad. Under 50% is bad. Uh, so I'm going to leave it at that. So, big drop-off on threes. Big drop-off on twos. Driving at the rim last year, 64%. Fantastic finisher at the rim. This year, uh, pretty poor. 54%. 10% drop-off in a single year finishing at the rim. You know, it's, it's based off a lot more attempts, too, and he's got to force it a lot more at the rim. He's getting a lot less—he uh, doesn't have the benefit of having that gravity of Giannis that he gets so many open looks and so many easy drives and all that stuff. It's hurting him this year. Uh, obviously, the counting stats are up, but the efficiency down. Another thing is last year, 19% of his three-point three attempts were from the corner, and he was shooting 50% on them. This year, only 7% of his uh, threes are from the corner. So a lot of it is is based more on, uh, on him taking shots at the top of the key, which is more of shots off the dribble rather than those open corner threes that he got last year. Shot 50% on them, though. That's so impressive. 50% on corner threes last season was such a big reason why that uh, Milwaukee offense was so dangerous. He had such a perfect role for himself as a shooter, as a spot-up shooter rather than a pull-up shooter this year. More numbers on him. Last year, 84. This, this number really uh, stood out. Last year, 84% of his threes came off of assists. 84. This year, only 40% come off assists. We're talking about a drop-off of 44% on assisted threes. That's big. And again, that, that really highlights his role change. Last year, 49% of his twos came off assists. This year, just 20% do. So 29% drop-off in assisted two-pointers this year. Compared to last year. And of course, the usage got went up, it's now, he's a, he went up from the 58th percentile last year, he's at 91st percentile in the position this year. Um, his true shooting percentage went down a lot. Very, very good last year, 61.4. This year it's about league average, 55%. Uh, pretty significant drop off there. You know, the counting stats, 17, 7.5, 4.5, pretty solid. Uh, the efficiency. You know, if he was if he was doing what he was do, uh, the the counting stats this year on last year's efficiency, I would have him ahead of Sabonis. I would definitely have him ahead of Sabonis. But that drop off to him being you know pretty much significantly above average in in everything efficiency wise last year compared to being fairly league average in everything below league average actually in some things like the two point percentage, uh, the finishing at the rim that that really hurt him in terms of my all star selection and I, again, I, I need to state it's because he's in a much bigger role this year, but that efficiency uh hurt him when it came you know'm I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but he also only played just above a thousand minutes which hurt his uh hurt his case here in the discussion. So he was a snub for me. All the notable snubs I should name uh Tobias Harris. The Sixers just weren't good enough for three All Stars. Again, he wasn't good enough to warrant himself to be a third All Star on that team. Uh, Fred VanVleet was fantastic this year. Again, the Raptors, he's not good enough uh, himself to be a All Star for the Raptors. To have to read all that stuff. Eric Bledsoe, I thought he's been fantastic defensively this year. Uh, kind of overlooked because most people just remember him for that poor defensive or poor. Showing in the playoffs last year. They kind of forget how much of a dog he is during the regular season defensively. Even offensively is good. But I thought he was a snub. Andre Drummond's putting up pretty counting stats. Although, I think it's a lot of fool's gold there, in my opinion. I was always pretty low on Andre Drummond. Uh, Not a fan of his his counting stats. Not a fan of his play. I don't think he's worthy of an all-star spot. One that a lot of people... I was shocked that a lot of people were trying to make a case for Zach Levine. Um... You know, fairly average efficiency uh, for him this year. I mean, his true shooting percentage is, is all right. He's shooting the threes a lot, all that stuff. But that that Chicago offense is just so bad. And it, it's not much better with him on it either. I know it's it's awful. I should say it's awful with him off the floor. With him on the floor, it's really nothing to be proud of either. It's It's still a bad defense or a bad offense, I should say, sorry. Pretty counting stats for Zach Levine, though high numbers. His defense is still pretty terrible. I I didn't I didn't really get the whole argument. I mean, I, again, I should say he's not a bad player by any means. I'm putting him in, in the, the snubs for a reason. He's he's a good player. He's all he's an all right player, but he's nowhere. He's not better than any of the players stated that made it on the team. Even the guys that got cut. He's not better than Brogdon. He's not better than Jalen Brown. He's not better than Bradley Beal. I didn't get that whole argument for him, and, and I don't think he should be an all-star this year. So he's a snub for me. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was making good case for himself in November, December. Uh, he had a drop-off. He's still a really good player this year. I had him at a as a snub. Evan Fournier, uh, <laughs> I bet a lot of people didn't expect it for his name to be here. Uh, but that he's just carrying that uh, offense, that magic offense. It's a pretty poor offense, but when he's off the floor, it's atrocious. Uh, He's the only reason why they're in a lot of games. Nikola Vucevic, he was an all-star last year. Missed a lot of time this year. Uh, Just not good enough overall for him to be named an all-star. I want to name him as a snub, though. Devontae Graham was a name that a lot of people thought. But I I just think it's because they liked his story a lot. I don't think he's a top 12 guy in the East. I think he's pretty far removed from it. Impressive year, though, and definitely uh, in the running for most improved player of the year. Uh, Derek Rose was another name who, again, another one that people really wanted to make a case for as an all-star. And he's been impressive on the Detroit Pistons this year, but it's, again, he's one of the, he's like Zach Levine, where I just don't really get the case for him. Good player. I mean, if we extended this roster to, to 16 or 17 players, which, you know, is obviously never going to happen, he'd probably make it. But even then, actually, I don't even know, because, you know, we extended to 15. I got Brogdon, Brown, and Beal, a lot of B's triple B shout out Lonzo I still don't think Derrick Rose would make it though and I think a lot of that's the the nostalgia of Derrick Rose you know he's built up such a big fan base back in his days in Chicago his MVP year all that stuff people still dwell on that and he's he's been a very good player and this is his best year since uh, since he, he switched teams you know it was on the Cavaliers it was on uh, the Timberwolves now on the Pistons I think this is his best career uh, year since then, but nonetheless, it's still not enough for him to be an All Star for me. Uh, Jonathan Isaac was another name that came up for me. You know, a defensive player of the year front runner up until his injury, which is probably going to sideline him for the rest of the year. That's a shame. Even then, I don't think he's a you know, top twelve guy in the East, but just need making need to make note of him. And finally, Kyrie Irving, who missed so much time that I, I can't put him in as an All Star. Uh, put up great numbers individually. I mean, the the Nets aren't anything to brag about. They're a playoff team right now, but way below 500. Kyrie Irving, uh, if he he played more, he probably could have taken that last spot in the All-Star team. And that right there is my Eastern All-Stars. I want to stay uh, pretty proud of my team. I don't know how accurate I'm going to be. I have a good feeling... I have a pretty good feeling someone like Beal is gonna get in. I think he will. And there's another guy in the West who I don't have in there who I I have a, a feeling will get in there. And I, I don't have any problems with Beal getting in. It's not like it's, you know, I'm shaking my fist. There's no way you can make the All-Star team this year. Any of that stuff. He was he was my first snub because I I was, had such a hard time taking him off the team. That defense just really stood out to me. Those numbers were were such a sore sore thumb in in uh. In that already poor Wizards team in terms of numbers. So, but I think Beal's gonna end up getting in there. If I had to name a guy who I think isn't gonna get in, um, I don't know, but maybe who Beal's gonna get in over. I hope Bam gets in. I really do. I hope they, I think the coaches are gonna vote him in. I feel like he's too good. Maybe Tatum or Sabonis won't get in. Maybe one of those two guys. Instead of Beal. I mean, Beal might miss it too. I I have no clue. We're going to figure out tonight. I mean, by the time you're hearing this podcast, you're already going to know who's in the All-Star team. So this is kind of pointless fodder. But nonetheless, that's my 12 to make the All-Star team. My snubs. And we're going to leave it at that. Uh, Move on to the Western Conference right now. Name my Western Conference picks for you here. And we're pretty much going to have like a very similar... um, format of of picking the Western All-Stars, I had my locks as starters, I had my reserve locks, and then I had my debatables and the snubs, which we'll get to, but for now, uh, the starters, I had four locks as my starters for the All-Star team, two frontcourt, the backcourt guys, Um, I'm pretty sure everyone is in unison in agreeing that both Luka Doncic and James Harden should be starters for the All-Star team this year as the two guard spots, uh, James Harden right now is having what is a historic scoring season, averaging thirty five point seven per game. The only player, uh, the only players in the last thirty years, actually you could take this back forty years. The only player, the only time that's we've seen a higher scoring season in the last forty years was Michael Jordan in eighty seven when he averaged thirty seven point one. And James Harden himself last season, and up until about a month ago, prior to this slump that he's been, uh, he's caught on in January. Prior to that, he was averaging 39 points per game throughout this season for the first three months. Was averaging 39 points per game, which would be, you know, the the most all time since Wilt, excluding Wilt, that would be the most ever. He's dropped down a little bit now at 35.7, still a- absolutely monstrous scoring numbers for James Harden. Again, the only person in front of him was Jordan, 87. Um, I actually want to compare him to that 87 Jordan year, and also Kobe's 06 season, where he scored 35.4, another one of the most monstrous scoring seasons we've seen in, in you know history. In recent memory, for sure, that sticks with us. Up until James Harden last year, 35 was an untouchable number. You know It was only Jordan, McAdoo, Kobe got it, Rick Barry, and uh, Wilt Chamberlain and, you know, Kobe added himself into that that crazy category among one of the best scorers of all time. Uh, so I'd like to compare Kobe in 06, Jordan 87, and James Harden this season. Uh, just some numbers uh, based on points, field goal attempts, and uh, true shooting relative to their season. A few things, because I, I know there has been criticism of James Harden that uh, it's so centric, the offense is so centric on him and uh, he's a chucker and all this stuff so I threw in field goal attempts and uh, the true shooting percentage uh, I want to touch up on the efficiency that he had his ridiculously efficient year and I don't want to just do true shooting based on you know a standalone number because the average true shooting percentage every season changes or is different and it's gotten much better as time went on so I'm doing the true shooting percentage relative to their time so plus plus Minus a certain percentage. Um, so, first off, let's start with Kobe in 06 because that was the lowest scoring of the three. Kobe in 06, 35.4 points per game on 27.2 field goal attempts. 20, 35.4 on 27.2 field goal attempts. Uh, again, monstrous numbers. You notice the high field goal attempts per game, 27.2 is is a lot, you know, shooting 27 shots a game is is mind-blowing when you think about it that way. Uh, Jordan in 90 in yeah, 91, 37.1 points per game. So he's got Kobe beat by 1.7 points. 27.8 field goal attempts per game. So, you know, just a half half an attempt more than Kobe uh, had in 06. So 35.4 on 27.2 field goal attempts. Compared to Jordan's 37.1 on 27.8 field goal attempts. So, pretty much the same range of field goal attempts in the 27s. And then you compare it to James Harden, who's averaging 35.7 points per game, just about what Kobe did at 35.4, on 23.6 field goal attempts. You know, he's averaging just less than a point and a half less than Jordan did in 91 on more than four less attempts per game. That's big. That's very big. And now that we talked about the field goal attempts, we gotta talk about the uh, efficiency, the true shooting for their season in comparison to the rest of the league. Obviously, the true shooting has gone up as time went on. So I did relative true shooting percentage. Uh, Kobe in 06 was a plus 2.3 relative true shooting percentage, 2.3 points or percentage points better than the league average. So plus two point three. And also I should say these are all wings. All these guys are wing scorers. So uh it is position based too. It makes sense for their position. But Kobe in nine in two point three relative true shooting, which is just about average or just about exact to what Jordan had in ninety one, a plus two point four relative true shooting percentage. And I should say a plus in in true shooting relative true shooting percentage is always a good thing. You know, that means you're always above league average. So No complaints there. They're above efficiency as uh, some of the best scorers in league history right there. Both impressive. Plus 2.3 for Kobe. Plus 2.4 for uh, Michael Jordan. And then you have James Harden, who's at a plus 5.6 relative to shooting percentage. Plus 5.6. Which is double. More than double. In comparison to what Kobe and Jordan did. Which is massively impressive, you know, averaging almost 36 points per game on five and a half uh, better true shooting points or percentage points than the league average is immensely impressive, and that's you know due in part to his high free throw rate, getting to the free throw line very uh, at will. That's a big complaint people have, but it is definitely an upside to his game, a massive advantage for him. Uh, so yeah, Harden's season this year. I just want to the reason why I went on this little, uh. Hitch on it is is because it's one of the most efficient volume scoring seasons in league history. No, mo- most impressive in terms of both volume and the numbers he's putting up. The sheer scoring numbers, flat out totals that he's putting up, is is massively impressive. And also the, the that's that's mentioned without the efficiency going down at all which is crazy because you know a lot of times when people bulk up on volume they fall apart on efficiency I talked about it with Brogdon before Siakam the same thing this year Uh when they take on a new role I mean he's had this role last year he's had this role in years prior but the volume went up and the efficiency stayed uh stayed consistent so Harden's one of my starters you know the Rockets this year uh third best offense in the league kind of shaky defensively uh We've seen their rotation issues. We'll get to that with another All-Star mention in Westbrook. Uh, but Harden, definitely a lock for me. The other one was Luka Doncic. Mavericks right now, as they stand, have the best offensive rating in league history. Like, that's ever. That's no since this time in the shot clock era, in the three-point era, and no uh, asterisks involved. Flat out, the best offensive rating in league history. We're seeing it right now with the Dallas Mavericks. And it's even crazier to think that they're not really, you know, one of the... I mean, they are a, a a high-end team. They are a playoff team, top six in the West. That's impressive. But they're not... It's not like they're the Lakers or the Bucks this year, where they're just a powerhouse, one of the best regular season teams. That's kind of weird to think that, you know, the best offensive team in league history isn't really as advertised when it comes to standings. I mean, again, great team. They're going to make the playoffs this year. Might have a home court advantage even. In the first round But nothing pretty much uh, Past that In terms of They're not going to be A top two team in the West Probably not going to see them In the, the conference finals Maybe not even in the second round We'll see But That's weird to think um, Luka himself though Averaging 28.8 points per game 8.7 assists 9.5 rebounds You know Flirting triple-double range Which I don't want to put too much weight on uh, Many Of you listening Probably don't know my opinions On the, the whole triple-double saga with Westbrook, but I wasn't a massive fan of it. I wasn't a huge believer. I thought there was a lot of fool's gold there. Nonetheless, um, 100th percentile in assist percentage. You know, As a wing, the probably the best playmaker in the league not named LeBron James in terms of wings. Maybe James Harden's up there. It's those three, though. James Harden, LeBron James, Luka Doncic. And, and when you're being compared to James Harden uh, and... LeBron James in any category, that's always going to be impressive. I mean, those three names are th- talked about probably two, two through four in terms of MVP in uh, the MVP discussion this season. So that's impressive. Uh, his finishing at the rim this year is, you know, I didn't expect him to be this strong of a finisher. Seventy-three percent shooting at the rim per cleaning glasses metrics or their filters, ninety-seven percentile among wings. Immensely impressive for a guy who's kind of in a playmaking role more so than a wing role. Uh, That team just becomes so much better with him on the court. And I should say, I should note, that team is still a positive, has a positive net rating with him off the floor, has arguably one of the best benches in the league this year kind of coming out of nowhere. I didn't expect their bench to be this strong. I thought Jalen Brunson was going to have a great year, uh, but I also expected him to start. I didn't think this bench would would be this impressive. They've definitely shocked me there. But nonetheless, uh, when he's on the floor, the team is still obviously much better with him off. Uh, One thing his playmaking adds to is their finishing. With him on the floor versus off the floor, they have a plus 10 uh, efficiency at the rim, plus 10%, which is 99th percentile in the league. That's immensely impressive. You know, He just has has such a good pick-and-roll game with guys like Powell, who's now going to be out for the rest of the season. I expect that to continue with a guy like Collie Stein, who's a, a hard rim runner. I thought he would have a good uh, a good synergy with Steph Curry, but their limited playing time stopped that, and obviously it's not going to continue considering he got traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I expect him to continue that with Maxi Kleba, who's a, a fantastic finisher around the rim. His synergy with Porzingis has been kind of iffy so far. Uh, we're going to see how Porzingis plays in the absence of Doncic now with his injury. Uh, he's been good so far this year. Porzingis has been very good so far this year in games that Doncic has missed. Uh, his efficiency is up. His his counting stats are up. All that stuff. Doncic uh, himself, though, is he, just making that team so much better. He's on. The efficiency field goal percentage jumps up by 5.1%. With him on the floors off, that's 98th percentile for his position. Again, just massive differences. He's transformed from uh, a borderline all-star last year. I I didn't have him as an all-star last year. I thought he was, you know, one of the three next guys in line. And I'm I'm always iffy on rookies making it, just because they they tend to have nice numbers, but have terrible uh, terrible box numbers. You know, the plus-minus numbers are always uh, hurting them. All that stuff, the catch-alls always hurt them. They tend to be net negatives on the floor, even with nice counting stats. Uh, Luka Doncic was an exception to that rule last year. He, he was still had good uh, catch-alls, but I didn't think he was quite that level of an all-star. I thought he was just below in that tier of honorable mentions. This year propelled uh, to superstar I mean, he made a jump from rookie of the year... Not even a unanimous rookie of the year, because Trey Young was so good. Uh, Rookie of the year, borderline all-star, to MVP candidate in his second year. I mean, these are numbers, a second-year player, these are numbers only contested by guys like, if Michael Jordan, excluding that injury his his sophomore year, if you count his third year, guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron James' second-year numbers, Magic Johnson's second year numbers. I mean, you were talking about three of of the top seven, eight best players ever. It's immensely impressive. Luka Doncic is a lock for the guards, and I want to give an honorable mention to uh, Damian Lillard. It's it's so hard for him. It's so hard for him considering that he's in the same conference as guys like James Harden and Steph Curry. Now, Luka Doncic, the one year Steph Curry's injured. Uh, every year, and I'm, I'm talking about guys in, in the East, he would be the, the uncontested lock for guard as a starter in the All-Star team this year. And in years prior, too, you have Kemba Walker starting in the All-Star team the last two years. As I said, Ben Simmons... Um, was my pick to start in the All Star team this year. Trey Young was the actual starter for the All Star team this year. Damian Lillard completely eclipses all three of those guys, and they're they're great players too. Damian Lillard is just on a tier above those guys, and once again, he's put on the reserves of the All Star team because of uh, the strength of the Western Conference guard positions. Uh, but he's he's definitely a lock for me. I'm going to get to him. Some numbers on him uh, in the front court for me. I had two guys who were undoubtable locks and then i had three guys who were debatables for that last spot i'm gonna get to the two locks and they're both teammates in la lebron james and anthony davis uh lebron james is leading that team and i'm gonna say lebron james leading that team not far behind anthony davis though is anthony davis i should say uh lakers are the best team in the west right now second best team in uh in the entire league LeBron James himself though, third in the league right now in, in player Impact plus Minus. Uh obviously having another quote unquote MVP campaign, because I don't think he's the MVP right now. I think Giannis has that on lock so far this season. Obviously that, that there's time for that to change. We got half the season left. But as it stands right now, on the pace he's playing, I don't really see Giannis giving up that spot. You know, injury might uh detest that. Ho- I don't hope injury, obviously. I'm just saying that there's a possibility if something were to happen to him, he misses time, or there's a drop-off, or anything like that. Uh, LeBron James, though, is likely to be a, definitely a top-four guy, I think, in MVP. I think I don't know if he's going to end up in that top-three spot. That's between him, Luka, and James Harden. His team record, obviously, helps him out there, considering he's this uh, the best team in the West. I would say voters are going to end up giving him the top-three spot if it ended today. Obviously, half the season left, so much could change. If it ended today, I think he would end up being a top three MVP candidate. Um, some numbers with him though I want to talk about is uh, I said he's leading that, that Lakers team. and I want I want to defend my statement there by just pulling up some numbers of lineups with him and Anthony Davis, both on the floor, both off the floor, one on one off. Here they are in about 1200 minutes or 1200 possessions this season. LeBron James on the floor. Anthony Davis off the floor, plus 10 net rating for those Lakers. That's LeBron on, Anthony Davis off. If we swap those two, LeBron off, Anthony Davis on, that is a minus 4. So you have a 14-point net rating swing right there from Davis being off to Davis being on and LeBron being on to LeBron being off. Both those two swap positions right there, 14-point net ratings swing. Obviously, both on right now, plus a 9.9, one of the best uh, duos in the league. LeBron on and D- Anthony Davis off is on par with both of them being on the floor. And obviously, I want to mention the reason to that being is because LeBron James is in a position where there's less of a replacement on that team. Obviously, there's a ton of bigs, a ton of bigs on that Lakers team. Considering, even if you add guys like Kuzma, who could play the four, who should play the four and is a natural four, Jared Dully plays the four, and obviously the centers Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, filling in roles. Uh, There's more replacement for Anthony Davis, and none of those guys are on the tier of Anthony Davis, I should say. They're nowhere near the talent that Anthony Davis is, but at least there's replacement value. As the primary playmaker, though, that LeBron James is, you replace him with guys like Caruso and Rondo and Quinn Cook. There's a much bigger drop-off, which is a big reason as to why, but that adds the value that LeBron James adds to this, uh, that really explains the value, I should say, that LeBron James adds to this Lakers team, which matters, too, in in MVP discussion. Anthony Davis, though, himself, having a fantastic year, he's a lock for the All-Stars in the West for me, which should say, alone, how good he is. I don't want to uh, demean his value. He's still... It come playoff time, trust me, his value is gonna is gonna skyrocket for them. Uh, right now, a defensive player of the year candidate, highest op- opposing field goal percentage differential in the league right now, the biggest drop off in opponent field goal percentage when Anthony Davis is on the floor. Um, I I in the beginning of the year, I had a uh, you know there was talks of Anthony Davis talking about the I want to be a power forward in most positions, all that stuff. I had my gripes with that. For the most part, he's proven me wrong. Because this year he's primarily been the four. Most of the time has been the power forward for that team. And he's been good. He's been great at the power forward. But with Kuzma out, I still don't think he proved me wrong entirely. Because I thought that their most effective lineups would have a front court lineup of LeBron at the three or one, whatever you want to say. LeBron... Kuzma, and Anthony Davis. And that that trio has not played too much this year. Only about 400 possessions played. Just under 400 possessions played for that trio. But, in those trio's 400 or so possessions, a plus 18.9 net rating. Plus 18.9. It was just by far number one in the league. All that stuff. If it were a, a standalone net rating. I still think Anthony Davis's most effective minutes, especially come playoff time where, where they run these lineups smaller, they cut a few guys out of rotation. Anthony Davis at the five, next to Kuzma, next to LeBron. And yeah, Anthony Davis himself, uh easy lock for me, I should say. The counting stats are a great. Defensive player of the year candidate. I would probably have him around fifth for MVP voting. If ending today, I'm gonna to get to my mid-season awards in a upcoming podcast. Hopefully, probably the next one, I'd say, if not that or a trade deadline one, uh, I'll get to that at the end of the pod. I'm gonna say some future plans, but Anthony Davis is an MVP candidate this year. Again, probably not the front runner, uh, but all NBA, I should say, all NBA first team candidate right now. So that I have four starters there: Luka, Harden. LeBron, Anthony Davis. The fifth spot was between three guys. Really mostly two guys. I'll state them. Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert I kind of put in there as a consolation. Um, I'm going to have him more as a reserve lock for me. But he he had a bit of an argument there. It was really between Kawhi and uh, Jokic. And I'm going to state a claim for both of them. And I'll, uh, I'll get to which one I actually went with. Jokic had a slow start to the season. But in January, he picked it up, averaging 27.3, 10-point rebounds, 6.1 assists on uh, over 61% true shooting in the month of January. Uh, Really solid numbers. Overall, this season, drops those numbers a little bit. twenty ten and 6.7 on 59% true shooting. Still a very efficient guy. The best playmaking, excuse me, in league history. Nonetheless, um, on-off numbers... Plus 9.5 net rating with Jokic on versus off. I mean, with Millsap gone this year, he's been injured for a while. They've really been short on bigs. Jeremy Grant has been awful defensively this year in terms of uh, the the team numbers. They've been terrible with uh, Jeremy Grant. Plumlee's been injured. They really don't have a lot of space for them to have any replacement for Jokic, which is why his on-off numbers are so positive. Plus 9.5. Massive. I didn't end up going with him as the starter. I thought his only claim over a guy like Kawhi Leonard was the minutes played. And we're comparing about 1,500 minutes played, actually over 1,502 for Jokic, just about 1,500 minutes played for Jokic, and under 1,200 for Kawhi Leonard. And I, at first, I had Jokic in. I penciled Jokic in. And I, I thought, you know, the, the sitting out games is inexcusable. Or it's not inexcusable. It's excusable, but it's inexcusable if you want to make an argument for these end of season awards, these these accolades like All Star. So Kawhi Leonard under 1,200 minutes, over 300 minute difference between the two. But then I just thought about it, and really, things like this, those 1,200 those under 1,200 minutes that Kawhi had. I think are a little bit more impactful than the 1,500 that Jokic had. Both both players, I should say, are are great. But at the end of the day, I think Kawhi Leonard is just a flat-out better basketball player. And I think most would agree with me there. I don't think you're going to have much argument. So, I ended up going with, with Kawhi Leonard there. Second in the league right now in PIPM is Kawhi Leonard. So, in those 1,200 or so minutes, he's been extremely effective. Um, and the thing is, too... We, this Clippers team a few would argue that is is disappointing, but I would I would argue against that. I, I think when I think the health has been disappointing, sure. Uh, PG and Kawhi Leonard have only played eighteen games together so far. Less than half the games this season have been uh seen with both of those guys on the floor. But in those eighteen games, they are fourteen and four. Plus nine point one in the nine hundred possessions. Plus 9.1 net rating in which Kawhi Leonard and uh, Paul George are on the floor, and even to push even past that, that's not even their best lineup. You know, most people thought their closing lineup at the end of the year, uh, regardless of who starts, Mo Harkless and Zubac are starters. We would, we all, or at least most thought that their end of season or end of game lineups would feature. Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, obviously Paul George and um, Kawhi as well, and I I did the favor of leaving off Pat Beverly just because we don't know it, mostly on offense or depending if it's an offensive or defensive possession, Pat Beverly could be left off for like Landry Shamit. Um, so with Williams, Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Montrez Harrell on the floor this year, in in about two hundred possessions, in I, actually two hundred. To the dot. 200 possessions they've played this year. That four-man lineup. In those 200 possessions, they are a plus 25.5. Or have a 25.5 net rating, I should say. In 200 minutes, that team is... uh, that, That quartet has played together. They've outscored opponents by 51 points. In 200 possessions. Ridiculous. Utterly Ridiculous. And Kawhi himself this year has had a career year in playmaking, uh, would be in the MVP discussion for sure if he played more, you know, him sitting out so many games has hurt him there, there have been complaints about the load management and all that stuff, I have no problem with him taking it, as long as he doesn't expect consolation in terms of end season awards, and it might cost him a, an All-NBA first team slot, it, it, it might cost him a starter slot, it ended up not costing him one obviously, but it could have. Uh, that is going to end up costing him an mvp discussion uh his def- his defending this year has it started off kind of on par with uh how he played in the regular season in toronto last year but has recently picked up and has been kind of scary again recently when he when he's really been locked in still one of the best defensive players in the league when he chooses to the problem is during the regular season doesn't really choose to um so like i said that that I think the minutes at the end of the uh, day is going to only cost him that MVP discussion, that All-NBA discussion. I don't think it should cost him a starter slot because I do think he's one of the five best players in the West. Probably one of the five best players in the league, especially when you're coming down to um, picking... Well, if you're picking someone to come playoff time, he's he might be the best player in the league. I should leave it at that. So my starters, close it out. Uh, Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron James, Anthony Davis... Hawaii Leonard, that's my five. Nikola Jokic, I uh, have coming off the bench, the first guy. Rudy Gobert, the second one. Um, right now, tied with the Nuggets for third in the West, thirty-two and fifteen, impressive net, uh, re- record there. Rudy Gobert, though, his on-off numbers just jump off the board. I'm talking, like I said, Jokic was a plus nine. Guys like Tatum, plus eleven or plus ten or something like that. Uh, LeBron, plus ten. These are massive numbers, but Rudy Gobert is where it really turns up an absolute ridiculous notch. Rudy Gobert, his on-off net rating swing, plus 19.6, plus a 19.6 without him on the floor versus off the floor, just... Absolutely insane number to even fathom. The offense goes up by 10 points with him on versus off. The uh, defensive rating goes up plus 9.6 on off. The offense plus 10 is where people would would really be shocked. Considering you know they talk about his defense, but he's an offensive liability. All this stuff that's I think that's so far from the truth. I, not only do I think he's a positive offensively, I think he's one of the better offensive bigs in the entire league. Uh, of course, the the volume doesn't really show it. He doesn't. He's not a, a twenty five point per game scorer, but and massively effective. The sixty nine percent true shooting percentage is just ridiculously insane. No, sixty eight percent from the field, only takes two pointers. So that's crazy. You know, he doesn't take a lot of shots, but the shots he takes are insanely effective. Plus nineteen point six is ridiculous, just ridiculous. Obviously, that's. The best in the league, in uh, for him. Again, I should attribute a lot of that to the lack of replacement on that Jazz team in terms of bigs, or at least traditional bigs. You know, you guys have like you have guys like Bojan and, and Royce O'Neal playing, uh, the big position a lot, but they're they're not playing center. You know, they're not filling in that role when he's off. Uh, to fill in this place, they have guys like Ed Davis and Tony Bradley who are okay. You know, they're passable, but you go from a, a superstar level, debatably top ten level talent in um a top 10 level talent in rudy gobert and i'm gonna say he's a top 10 level talent maybe not exactly top 10 but he's in the discussion for top 10 players in the league to maybe a average to below average i'd say probably below average and ed davis and um tony bradley in terms of bigs so right there i have seven jokic and rudy gobert the first two off the bench Gobert, obviously, it should mention defensive player of the year candidate right now. I would say he's a front runner. We'll get to that in another pod. Uh, Damian Lillard as well. Uh, so far in January, he's had a ridiculous month. Probably uh, the front runner to get player of the month in January, if not, is probably holding him back. Is, is that record? Because uh, the Blazers right now are seven and seven in, in the month of January. But what Damian has been doing this month is ridiculous. Uh, in January alone, averaging 33 points, 8.3 assists, 5 rebounds on 65% true shooting. For a guard, 65% true shooting, averaging over 30 points a game, 33 points per game, is just insane. That's that's ridiculous. Plus 12.8 on-off net rating this year, plus 12.8. And you know, that's among the best in the league, best in his position. That is utterly insane. Again, the replacement value, a big reason to attest to that is the replacement value for him. Uh, Anthony Simons is pretty much the only playmaker With him off the floor Or CJ McCollum Which not a traditional point guard Neither of those are traditional point guards That really hurts them Damian Lillard was a lock for me And my last reserve lock Was Chris Paul And Chris Paul has uh, Been the best player on that Thunder team Who's uh, a lock in the playoffs right now Probably going to make the playoffs by the end of the year Unless tragedy strikes Best clutch, uh, clutch performer in the league this year has been Chris Paul. You know that mid-range game is just so ridiculous. Shooting over fifty percent in the mid-range, eighth in the league in PIPM. I I, I stumbled upon a number today when looking on uh, Chris Paul's numbers because I, I I thought the the um, that three guard lineup between. Schroeder, CP3, and SGA. I knew that was already a good, efficient lineup on the court. But, oh my gosh, was I just shocked by how good it is. If you recall just a minute ago, I talked about that four-man lineup. Kawhi, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, uh, and Paul George all on the floor together. That was about 200 possessions. They've played together, and they were 25.5. Usually the more... Possessions they play. They kind of retained the mean. Uh, So it was only 200 possessions. And they had this massive 25.5 net rating. 100th percentile for four-man lineups. In 700 possessions, just under 700 possessions, that Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder have played on the floor together. They have been a plus 36. Or have a plus 36 Net rating. And that's with boasting 136 offensive rating, the best offensive lineup uh, trio in the league, the best trio period in the league by far with bulk minutes like that. 700 possessions plus 36.2. Just ridiculous. I mean, if they could incorporate that lineup more often, you know, usually that's their crunch time lineup. Uh, throwing Gallinari and Adams, that's, you know, their best five-man lineup. I, 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 a piece of me is hoping for, for uh, Gallinari and Chris Paul and and all the other guys to stay put, just so we can see what that looks like come playoff time because that's a serious game changer. And the Thunder have been the best clutch team in the league this year. Chris Paul, Shea Gildas Alexander, and Dennis Schroder all three have been have the best uh, clutch numbers this year in terms of plus minus, and it makes sense considering how effective that lineup has been. So Chris Paul is another lock for me. I'm now at nine players. Only three more get in. Just three more remaining players for the Western Conference All-Stars. And this is where I come in with the debatables. And, well, wow, I'm (laughs) looking at it right now. I'm already uh, approaching the two-hour mark, so I want to kind of speed this up. I want to give these guys their credit, but only three names left for me. I want to kind of breeze through these real quick and then get to the rising stars. Uh, the the debatables for Western Conference All-Stars, there was five names that popped up for me, five that I thought were in contention for these last three spots. Two of them obviously ended up not making it in for uh, their own reasons. The three that, that did, though, start, start out with Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker this year, despite uh, his main the argument against him that most people would say is the team record, I mean, they're still fighting for a playoff spot right now, the Suns. They're not where you expect them to be normally. They're not at the complete bottom of, of the um of the standings. They're gonna have a much better record than they did last year. Uh still they're still a good team or not I wouldn't say good. They're still a solid team uh, even with this. But Devin Booker has by far been the the stud of of uh, what would be a pretty poor team without him, I think. And right now, this season, uh, 12th in offensive RPM, or sorry, offensive PIPM, uh, one of the best offensive players in the league, no doubt. I'd say these numbers are doing him a disservice. I'd say he's probably a top eight, nine offensive player in the league right now, which for him, I mean, compared to what he was years prior, he's always a solid offensive player. You know, it was very weak defensively. He was one of the worst defensive players in the league, actually, uh, two years ago. Uh, still much below league average last year. I would still say significantly below league average this year, but he's not in the likes of a Trey Young or Bradley Beal in terms of the absolute worst. You know, he, he has these stretches in the beginning of the year, actually he had a stretch where he was really trying on uh, defense and it looked like it was paying off. Right right now, this season, he is averaging over 20 point, 27 points per game, six assists per game, and over 50% shooting from the field. The only players in history to average 27-6 on 50% shooting or better ever. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Oscar Robertson, Devin Booker. Just insane. I mean his his offensive numbers are ridiculous. The uh the spike in efficiency is what really blows my mind. Over 63% true shooting, way above league average. You know, this I didn't expect him to to be this great of a scorer on this great of an efficiency, mostly because of how uh, how how much he leans to that mid-range game. I thought that would take a little bit of a hit on his efficiency numbers. Plus 5.7 on-off net rating swing for him. And that includes a 12.4 offensive rating swing for him. Uh, plus 5.7 on-off net rating. Plus 12.4 on-off offensive rating. So that offense right now, currently stands 110 offense, 110 flat, 16th in the league, which is right about average. With Booker off the floor, that goes from 110 to 101.1, 30th in the league. With him on the floor, it goes from a 110 to 113.5, third in the league. That 3.5 boost jumps down from 16th to third. So with him on the floor, the sun, this abysmal Suns team, with how many offensive pieces do they really have? They they go from third best in offensive rating in the league with Devin Booker on the floor to thirtieth when he's off the floor. Just ridiculous numbers. That that finishing is what really caught me off guard too. Seventy one percent finishing at the rim. Fantastic numbers for you know a combo guard, a guy who who's forced to play point last year. This year's taken on more of a traditional wing when they finally got a real point guard in Ricky Rubio, a starter-level point guard that's done wonders for him. Just having a great year, I think he's—he was right on the line of locks. I mean, he—I put him as a debatable just because the team record hurt him a little bit. Uh, but I'll get to why another player didn't make it because of team record. The next uh, debatable I had in there is Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell this year. Uh, you know, the Jazz had a slow start, as they do every year for some reason. Every single year, they have poor starts, and they pick it up. Come The the turn of the year happened last year from, I think, February onward. They were the best team in the league last year. This year, it seems to be the case again. In the month of January, 11-3 and record for the uh, Utah Jazz. Quinn Snyder made the adjustment of pulling Mike Conley out of the lineup. I mean, not really his choice considering there was injury, but uh, it ended up working out that... Four or that three forward lineup with Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, and Boyan Bogdanovich in the lineup uh, just works so much better having Donovan Mitchell. run point I don't I really can't put my finger on what Mike Conley has done this year that has just such an abysmal drop off. You know, always a consistent All Star candidate throughout his career. This year has dropped to to one of the worst starters in the league when he was on. Just flat out one of the worst starters in the league. No no debate about it. But since uh. 2020, like I said, the Jazz have an 11-3 record, plus 10.8 net rating. Donovan Mitchell, I'd say, is second fiddle on that team. Offensively, is the is the best player on that team. I mean, puts up great counting stats. Great, uh, great transition for him in uh his his third year now, and I that, that, that makes me think too, because last year we had this discussion with. Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, and Donovan Mitchell, all three of them, people had arguments that they either stalled out their sophomore year or they regressed their sophomore year from their rookie year. And looking at it now, I have all three in my all-star conversation, or all my all-star teams. All three of them made it. So I'd say that, uh, that criticism was a little little premature and I think based a little too much on people's expectations of progress which don't really it's not a linear line of progress it never is and people for some reason every year expect it to be this player was this good as rookie year so that means he must be that good as sophomore he must double his it doesn't work like that and I think all three players have gotten better since their rookie year this year is very clear about it you know all taking their own steps uh individually but nonetheless they've all gotten better donovan mitchell is an all-star for me though and the last all-star spot i have 11 players now the last came down between three names and that is carl anthony towns paul george and brandon ingram and paul george uh i want to be the first to dismiss because he has less than 800 minutes played 799 up until today uh that is just that doesn't really cut it for me i I drew my line at a thousand minutes played or more and 799, 800 minutes is not enough. As good as he's been on the court, too. I mean, last year he was an MVP candidate. Uh, M- MVP finalist came third in MVP voting. The Defensive Player of the Year finalist came third in voting for that too. It's just the the 799 is, is much too low. The injuries hurt him, and I think he he, he should be a uh, he shouldn't be given an All Star spot because of that. I know how good he is in, in prior years, but there just has to be some sort of consistent criteria. And it's based on uh, performance up until this point. So I left him off. And so it's down to Brendan Ingram or Carl Anthony Towns. And like I said before, I had that 1,000-minute mark. Carl Anthony Towns just passed that. 1,004 minutes. What he's doing offensively, he's transformed as not only one of the best offensive, or the best offensive big in today's game. You know, that's an argument between him and Nikola Jokic. I think Carl Anthony Towns probably takes that. As the best defensive big in the league today. One of the best defense, or best offensive, I should say, sorry. Uh, He's one of the best offensive bigs ever, flat out. I mean, shooting-wise, that's already pretty much a lock for him. No player, no center has ever shot on volume the way he has. I mean, 50-40-80 on the season for him so far. That 40 is coming in off over eight three-point attempts per game, which is bonkers. That's insane. Over eight three-point attempts per game, shooting 40% as as a center? And that's without really a lot of spacing either. He doesn't have as much spacing as you th- you think more, most centers should have that are shooting that high of a percentage. You know, Brooke Lopez last year uh, was a fantastic three-point shooter, probably the best bulk three-point shooter in the league last year. And he's he's playing a five-out offense. I mean, when you have Josh Akogi, Trevion Graham for most of the season, Jarrett Culver, Andrew Wiggins, Robert Covington, there really isn't a lot of spacing on the floor for you. But yet, Carlton Towns is still shooting over 40%. Um, a comparison between him and Ingram is uh, we can't really talk about the team success because bo- both those teams are are below 500. Neither of them are in the playoffs right now. I mean, I guess the, technically the Pelicans are in the playoff race with Zion coming back now. But I'd say the Timberwolves at this point, I'd exclude them from the playoff contention. I don't think they have a chance. Uh, I can't talk about Carlton Townsend's immaculate offense without talking about his poor defense. I mean, that team goes from an average team to one of the worst defensive teams in the league with him on the floor. Uh, and that's big for a center. That's very big for a center. Centers are the most, the most important defensive position in the league. Um, that matters, of course. But I think the offense just overrides. I mean, he goes... At the end of the day, it, it you come down to the 24 best players in the league based off credential, and I think... He matches that criteria. At least the top 12 in the in the West. Brandon Ingram himself is having a fantastic year. I know the Pelicans aren't as good as I thought they would be. Uh, with Zion coming back, that might change. Still in playoff contention. Brandon Ingram is... Uh, I want to credit Ben Taylor too. Because uh, he really opened my eyes when he said it. That Brandon Ingram might be having the best single season improvement in shooting we've ever seen in terms of one-year transition uh, shooting, it might be the best ever. And I I think it's a little unfair to compare all the years uh, he's been on the Celtics because he took a really really big leap last year, especially in the month of January prior to his injury. Uh, But I'd like to compare last year's season to this year's season in terms of uh, shooting improvement. Last year was shooting... All right, the two-point percentage wasn't really a shooting improvement. I want to exclude that. Three-point shooting, though, last year went from a 33% three-point shooter on less than two shots per game. 33 on less than two. Normally, when you bulk up volume, efficiency tends to go down. So you'd expect him to to more than triple his three-point output this year, which is what's happened. He went from 1.8 attempts to 6.2 attempts per game this year. You expect, you know, all right, 33% last year was, was bad volume, bad efficiency. This year, you know, if you upped the volume, maybe his efficiency would drop. No, it has been further from the truth. He more than tripled his volume, his output, at 6.2 attempts per game this year. But his three-point percentage just skyrocketed, Seven, more than 7% actually, shooting over 40% on the year from three-point range, which is just insane where do you see a drop or a raise like that out of nowhere? Again, another thing is free throw percentage last year floating around 67%, 67 67.5%. Last year, you know, a below average free throw shooter went from a above average one this year, over 86% on free throws. Just an insane single season uh, change for him. Obviously that scoring role, he went from a Second option last year with LeBron James and the Lakers to a first option this year. Who knows if that's gonna change with Zion's uh role. I don't think Zion's gonna be the first option his his rookie year. The true shooting too went from fifty-five last year to nearly sixty this year, you know, floating about average last year to above average this year. Uh true shooting for Brandon Ingram. Just a again, I wanna take I wanna uh quote Ben Taylor here. Arguably the best single season improvement in shooting, in terms of shooting. But again, much like Carlton Towns, he has that defensive woe. Uh, defensively, he is a liability. And he really wasn't awful in the past years defensively. I mean, he, wasn't, he was not a below average uh, defender for sure, but he wasn't awful. This year, I'd say he's taken a step down. As his offense went up, his defense went down. That hurts his discussion. And when it comes down to these two, I really what it really came down to for me was both these guys have such a good argument for themselves. Uh, The improvement shooting for Ingram, the uh, offensive output that Carl Anthony Towns has, which is weighed down by his defense. Both these guys have poor defense. Towns has been... The the numbers, I think, are a little... um, they, they, They say Towns is a worse defender than I think he really is. I don't think he's the worst defensive player in the league. I think he's far from it, actually. I think he's generally below average I would say but not too far from average uh when he's locked in but when it comes down to the, between these two guys I think I just have to give it to who I think is the better player and that is Karl Anthony Towns by quite some margin so I gave the last spot to Karl Anthony Towns so closing out my all-star team the five starters once again Luka Doncic James Harden in the backcourt the front court is LeBron James Anthony Davis Kawhi Leonard And then the locks for the uh, reserves were Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, and Rudy Gobert. The debatables I had, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns. And then the debatable snubs I had, the ones that were really close to getting in. Paul George didn't get it on minutes. Burningham didn't get it. And just to list off a few other names that I had as honorable mentions, I want to say. uh, John Morant, what he's been doing this year, has been great as a rookie. Uh, I'm not a big fan of putting rookies in the All-Star team. I know he's going to be a a multi-time All-Star in in his future, the way he's been playing right now. I mean, the Grizzlies are a 500 team. They're in the playoff spot right now, which is insane, considering what most thought they would be this year. Uh, That's immensely impressive. Gilgis Alexander, again, quite not at the All-Star level. The Thunder team's been fantastic. He's going to be an All-Star soon, though, for sure. He's he's just that good. He's... he has all the makings of being an all-star. He's had a big improvement over last year. I think he's going to continue to have an improvement next year. Uh maybe we'll see him in this discussion next year. Also, most minutes in the league play this year, which is impressive for a for a guy, you know, it's well, it matters actually when you have a lot of close games, they have a lot of clutch games and he plays a lot. So there's that uh Westbrook I had missing the all-star team this year and by quite a big margin too. Um his 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 efficiency just absolutely kills him. It kills him in any discussion here. And I don't think he makes up for it defensively at, well, at all. He's, he's actually very, very poor defensively. You know, just completely out of it at times uh, defensively. I, I don't think he has any argument. <laughs> I'm, I'm mentioning him solely because he's in the discussion. And I have a really, really, really bad feeling. By, by the time you listen to this argument or this uh, podcast, I should say, he's going to be in the All-Star game. I have a really, really bad feeling he's going to get voted in. And a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, Brandon Ingram, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell is not going to make it. Chris Paul even maybe. I think Chris Paul should make it, though. I think Devin Booker should make it, too. I'm, I'm saying more of a of a Mitchell or an Ingram or a Paul George. Or Paul George should miss it, too. He's missed a lot of time. Carl Anthony Towns. I think any of those four guys should 100% make it above Westbrook. I see no actual argument to put Westbrook in over any of these guys at all. 52% true shooting this year, which is way below average. His three-point percentage is what—it's—it's it's just so gross to look at. Over four attempts per game, shooting low 20s, 23.4%. The worst since his sophomore year. I mean, on four attempts, and in his sophomore year, he only shot a, in one attempt per game. Shooting four attempts per game, I mean, he's kind of slowed that down a little bit. His three-point shooting, finally. I mean, and it's been that, that offense has looked so much better with with that happening. And he's getting so many good looks too, because when you play with Harden, Harden gets double that half court all the time. Westbrook's getting so many uh, attempts when he's just got no one anywhere near him, shooting low 20s and on on high volume, 52% true shooting, poor defense, no chance. I don't care what the points, rebounds, and assists say. There is no argument he is an all-star this year, in my opinion. I had to mention him though. If anything, he'd be probably near the bottom of these snub lists, too. Another guy that, that uh, should be mentioned is Bojan Bogdanovic. I don't think the Jazz are good enough to warrant three All-Stars, as well as Bojan not being uh, on the level of the, the snubs. You know, he's still, I think, a tier below Ingram and Towns and Paul George and all those guys. So I just want to mention, him though, DeMar DeRozan uh, has had a fantastic stretch recently. That 20.50 field goal percentage stretch he's had, you know, was among the highest in guards in league history. That's impressive, but the Spurs just aren't good enough. Uh, he himself is not good enough to warrant this above any of these guys, along with this all star, Lamarcus Aldridge. I just want to mention him out there. And then Drew Holiday, um, again, this if this team has one all star, if that the Pelicans, it is Brandon Ingram. Drew Holiday has been great defensively, a little bit worse than he has been prior years. La- uh, defensively, last year I w- thought he was an all defensive first team guard. I can't remember if he got it or not. I don't think he did. Yeah, I think I believe it was Bledsoe and Smart, and he was on the second team. Um, but I thought he should have been on the first team last year defensively. Uh, I'd say he's... I don't know if he's even on any team this year defense uh, on the all-defensive teams, but he's, he's a nominee. He's in there. But the, the Pelicans aren't good enough. And then two Nuggets guys, Will Barton and Paul Millsap. Will Barton, if there is a second Nugget to make it, it should be him. I mean, what he's done this year offensively. Uh, he's carried a massive offensive load. That team looks pretty bad without him uh, on the floor. You know, last year I had very, very big qualms with De, uh, Will Barton, especially because he was playing out of position. He's not a, a true small forward, and he has trouble guarding small forwards and all that stuff. This year he's playing a lot of point guard because of Jamal Murray's injury. He's been forced to to play point guard a lot when he's on the, off the floor. Monte Morris regressed, so he's been playing uh, a new role offensively and that's been great for him so I want to mention him also Paul Millsap but he again much like Paul George 798 minutes this season uh he just hasn't played enough and the reason why I even mentioned him is because that team looks so bad without him on the floor that I feel like he has to be mentioned you know he's such a big reason as to why that team has been has looked so good with him on the floor uh and yeah that's it those are my all my snubs that I should mention all oh, my All-Stars, both my All-Star teams, I mean, by the again, by the time you figure out, or by the time you listen to this podcast, you will know all the players. You'll know if I was wrong or not. Um, That's my All-Star teams. And looking at the time right now, we're, we're over two hours. I just want to, I didn't expect my first pod to be this long. But, you know, I you can never expect these things. I kind of just ramble on forever. And I did have a, a very, very large Uh topic at hand right here to name two all-stars. I could have probably split this up into two different podcasts, but Uh my time constraint, you know, I I started this Recording this much later than I expected due to technical difficulties on my part, you know I'm having some troubles, uh on my first episode Working this stuff out, but here I am finally recording it. I just want to go real quick through Uh the rising stars challenge how I think it should be done and my uh votes for it based on that I didn't feel like looking for the 12 best guys that are born in the United States and 12 guys, best guys born uh, outside the United States, I think that whole gimmick is a little played out, and I don't really like it too much. I think, my opinion, if the All-Star game now is separated by East and West in terms of selection, and then the rosters are uh, distributed by two captains, from the one from the East, one from the West, um, and they, they do a little bit of a draft between that pool of players, I think the same should be done with the Rising Stars. My concept for the Rising Stars is you have a rookie, the best rookie, who would probably be John Morant this year, be the um captain, and the best sophomore, which is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, or, I mean, Trey Young is a faraway argument, but... He's been fantastic in terms of second year players. I mean, both these guys kind of supersede the rest of the talent in in this game. They probably they don't really need to be in it. Trey Young and Luka Doncic. They have nothing to prove. I mean, Luka's already an MVP candidate. Trey Young is an All-Star starter. They really have nothing to prove playing in this game. Uh but they are they're, they're going to be in it more than likely unless they pull out. I think Doncic and Morant should be starter or uh captains and they have this pool to pick from from the 12 best sophomores or the 11 next best sophomores and the 11 next best rookies and they d- construct their teams on that. And that's how I made my All-Star my Rising Stars rosters. So I'm going to name off the 12 sophomores I had, the 12 rookies I had who I think should make it. And I th- I think that's a little more fun. I think it's it makes more sense than you know having some random foreign player just because he wasn't born in the US, the United States and then have, you know, the United States players there's gonna be a lot of big cuts because of it i'll uh i'll say my 12 rookies 12 sophomores so my r- rookies i should start off um john morant first and foremost is a clear starter and then i had the f- five best rookies i'll get to this uh in, in a later pod my all rookie teams and all the stuff but this is essentially my all rookie first and second team in no order Terrence Davis of the Toronto Raptors. He's been fantastic this year. Undrafted rookie. I think he should definitely be uh, noted here. Mat- Matisse Tybel, the best defensive rookie ever, arguably. P.J. Washington of the Chicago or the Charlotte Hornets. Brandon Clark, I think, has been the second best rookie in the year this year. Uh, of the, the teammate of John Moran, the Memphis Grizzlies. Tyler Harrow and Kendrick Nunn, both Miami Heat players. Michael Porter Jr., who has skyrocketed. Uh, in the past month or so, he, he's been great. Uh, Eric Paschal of the Golden State Warriors, Jackson Hayes of the New Orleans Pelicans, R.J. Barrett of the New York Knicks, who, who got in actually a lot slimmer than most would think. I know he's got the one of the highest scoring rookies and all stuff, but that efficiency is awful. Uh, the defense is poor. His playmaking is not nearly as good as I thought it would be. And finally, the 12th spot goes to Chris Silva, the third Miami Heat player. I think they should have three rookies. Some honorable mentions. I just want to mention rookies that didn't make the cut, who I should just mention, whether they're high draft picks or high profile rookies that I just don't think are nearly good enough. Kai Bowman, uh, I thought was close to getting in of the Golden State Warriors. Kevin Porter Jr. as well uh, has had an average season in terms of rookies. Below average in terms of the NBA, but average in terms of rookies. Jarrett Culver has been picking up recently after his terrible start to the season uh Cameron Johnson was one of the closest names I had in here a great shooter older than the rest Zion I want to just mention I I wonder if he's going to make it in the game I don't know when they're going to select this but I wonder if he's going to make it in the game because he's only played what, four games now and but he's just such a high profile name I don't know if the NBA would he would bring a lot of attention to the game so I I, I wouldn't be shocked if they put him in there but it would be unwarranted, I'd say. Darius Garland and, and uh, DeAndre Hunter, two other names I just want to mention, that got snubbed. Kobe White, obviously, it was nowhere near this. One of the worst rookies of the year this year. So my, my rookie team would be John Morant, Terrence Davis, Matthias Tybel, PJ Washington, Brandon Clark, Tyler Harrow, Kendrick Nunn, Michael Porter Jr., Eric Paschal, Jackson Hayes, R.J. Barrett, Chris Silva. And my sophomores was a little tougher because there's a lot of good sophomores. My 12 for that, obviously headlined by Trey Young and Luka Doncic. Not far behind them, a debatable all-star. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is there. Also in there, uh, another Memphis Grizzly, Jaron Jackson Jr., to go along with uh, John Morant and Clark as rookies. All three of those guys are just part of such a great young core. The rookies don't stop there either. I'm going to get to that. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. He's been out a lot though, but when he's been in, he's he's a high impact player. He's a reason why that defense has been so good for the uh, Chicago Bulls. Another sophomore center along Wendell Carter and Jaron Jackson, not a junior though, is DeAndre Ayton, who's really been picking it up recently. Uh, has been a, a solid, solid sophomore. Has had a solid sophomore year. I want you to mention him. In that uh, conversation, easily made the team, along with Devontae Graham. another, I had him as a snub in the All Star team, or I want to mention him as a snub. He's kind of far behind the rest of the pack for All Stars, but he's definitely one of the 12 best sophomore uh, players this year. He's in there. And this is where I start to have a bunch of players that a lot of people won't agree with just because they don't have great counting stats. They're not high points per game scores, but you got to give credit to great defensive players like Dante DiVincenzo, who I have in this game for sure who's the next player up, along with DeAnthony Melton. I mentioned another grizzly, and most people are going to really scratch their heads at this, but DeAnthony Melton is one of the best defensive wings in the league this year. Guards, I should say. He plays a lot of point guard. uh, Maybe should be more of a wing. Fantastic defender, super long, great in transition. I think one of the 12 best sophomore players this year, for sure. And another great sophomore player who emerged out of nowhere... This year was Duncan Robinson of the Miami Heat. That's four Miami Heat guys I have on here, which they'd be very, very well represented uh, in this Rising Stars Challenge. I think Duncan Robinson's having one of the best shooting years in the year, in the season, uh, in the league this season, I should say. Obviously, it's not even in my opinion. It's just a flat-out fact. By volume and by uh, efficiency, he's flat-out one of the best spot-up shooters in the league this year. Another great defender, Mikael Bridges, who had a... Very, very quiet rookie year. Uh, he's still a pretty poor shooter, which I thought he would be a lot better at. But defensively, he's been great. Uh, you're just starting to see him get a little bit more crunch time minutes for that Suns team. Probably the best defender on that Suns team as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think he should make the team. And finally, my 12th spot went to the New York Knicks center, Mitchell Robinson, who... He's had to step down defensively, I think. Still has that foul trouble. Uh, has His offensive woes can't shoot a shot outside of three feet. I, I think I mentioned he fouls a lot, fouls out a ton, or sees limited minutes because of his foul trouble, but still defensively is one of the better de- defensive centers in the league, let alone sophomores. Uh, one of the fe- best defensive centers in the league. So I had to mention him in there. He was the last spot. Some honorable mentions of players who I should just throw out there who've had pretty good years. Colin Sexton is scoring over 20 points per game this season. Still, his defense is awful. That Cavs team is abysmal. I don't think he should be rewarded for that. And I don't think he's been all that good this year. I still think he's a below-average player, I'd say. The the 20 points per game isn't fooling me. Miles Bridges, who is just so mundane. I mean, he's got a, a pretty game to look at when he has these flashy dunks every now and then. But other than that, I, I just really don't see the the appeal in, in Miles Bridges game defensively he's a little he's weird cuz he should be offensively he's not good enough to be a 3 and defensively he's far from being a force and he's playing alongside PJ Washington so he has to play the 3 it just doesn't work out there that that duo i really don't know what he is as a player and what to expect from him uh i thought maybe he could be like an Aaron Gordon prior to the season prior to his rookie season last year i, I had some my doubts but you know maybe it was just a rookie season some players progressed their sophomore year. His sophomore year has been underwhelming, too. Uh, I don't think he should be in the Rising Stars Challenge. Uh, Jalen Brunson's another name who has had a great year. I just don't think he's the top 12 to be uh, one of these guys. I thought he would have been a most improved player of the year candidate for me. Aaron Holiday of the Indiana Pacers had a solid year. Omari Spellman kind of came out of nowhere uh, for the Golden State Warriors. As bad as they've been as a team, he's had a really solid year. Finding himself playing starting center with Kevon Looney out, with Willie cauley Stein out now. He's had minutes as starting center. Probably one of maybe. I want to include him, Pascal, Glenn Robinson, and maybe Alec Burks as like the only guys that they could really keep the Warriors if they want to be uh, back in contention next year. Obviously, excluding D'Angelo Russell and uh, Draymond Green, who have been healthy this year. Those guys are obviously pieces they could keep next year. But in terms of the, the younger, you know, the the minimum salary guys, I think Spellman has earned himself to be in there. Just, you know, the, the spacing he offers for uh, Clay and Steph next year is going to be huge. Defensively, he has his woes. But uh, I thought yeah, I should just mention him. Marvin Bagley's missed a lot of time this year, so he didn't make it, unfortunately. Although he was on my uh, all-rookie team last year. Kenrich Williams, who's missed some time, uh, he's gonna. I think he's gonna be uh, on that column that Zach Lowe writes every year, the Luke Walton All Stars. I think he's gonna make his way in there just because of how how much grit, gritty stuff he does and stuff that doesn't really show up on, on the stat sheet. Fantastic player, uh, but again, missed some time and not quite in the top 12 players in, uh, on this team. And the last to be Troy Brown of the Washington Wizards, Kevin Herder. Of the Atlanta Hawks and Josh Okogie of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, none of those guys are top twelve. So I listed my uh, my rookies and all-star, um, my rookies and sophomores. I think should be in the Rising Stars Challenge, the top twelve of each team, and I think they should do uh, that type of draft. And I know I, I've been I've been on for a long time, hitting that two, getting approaching two and a half hours here. Just want to wrap things up. I didn't expect this podcast to be this long, but again, I always end up just rambling longer than I expected. Uh, and it was fun. This, I mean, I, I thought this would be fun because I always have a blast talking basketball. Appreciate anyone who's been took the time to listen. I mean, if you're here, I applaud you. You really either know me very well and and respect me enough to listen to two and a half hours of me talking to myself about basketball, or uh, or I, I've I've garnered some new fans right now that uh, that are listening to me the first time. I appreciate any one of you who's been listening to this point. Uh, has gotten this far and has listened to the end of the podcast. I appreciate it greatly. I'm going to try to put out these podcasts more consistently. I know this one came out late. I was planning on having this before the starters were selected. But due to technical difficulties with my, me getting the new mic and recording and all this stuff, I had to scrap some recording before because it sounded terrible. I worked out the kinks. I did a lot of tests. Sounds a lot better now. Hopefully this podcast is running smooth and it's up by Friday morning. Uh... If not, you're listening to this whenever you're listening to this. And I appreciate you for listening to this. Uh, My next pod, I'm already planning either a trade deadline talk, which is going to be coming up next Thursday, a week from when I'm recording this, or a midseason, which is already a little, we're already like a week past the midseason, but a midseason award show. One of those two is going to be out soon. I'm going to try to record as soon as possible and get it out to you guys. But thank you once again for listening. And this is, I've been Philip Dimitrovsky, as I've always been my entire life. And this has been The Ball Spot.